0: Look what's rising out of the pumpkin patch this Halloween. The Pumpkin Cutter. A great way to let your kids carve their own pumpkins. Without sharp edges that cut little hands. It even makes toothy grins easy to do. The Pumpkin Scoop. Removes seeds and pulp better than any spoon. And the Pumpkin Light. Replaces dangerous candles with glowing results. Have a great pumpkin this Halloween with the Pumpkin Cutter Pumpkin Scoop and Pumpkin Light. Pumpkin Cutter
1: products available at Long's Drugs and Safeway. Good evening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. And welcome to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. It is... Our Halloween month. Come with us if you dare. (laughs) This is exciting. This is this is the favorite time of the year. Third,
1: one, two, three. Annual. Because the first year we didn't do it. We didn't. I don't think we did every week. I don't remember. I don't think we did every week until the second year.
0: And this is our third attempt to record because the first time um, we couldn't shut this fan off. The second time I didn't hit record, and this is the third time. Take three. Take three.
1: Speed. <laughs> Whenever you're ready. <laughs> that reminds me... Uh, of a very funny story. Uh, real quick, because you said speed. Yeah. Big pet peeve of mine. Yeah. And I've st- I even mentioned it on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Is that at least in the reality TV industry, it's become common practice to say speeding, and it drives me crazy. I think you even said that on the cast once or twice. When I'm... All
0: right. Well, then I won't go into no, this finish again. Finish it because people may not know what you're talking about. You're teasing. You're tickling the berm a little bit. You need to know when you, the
1: cameras. When you say you know, roll cameras, roll sound. cameraman says speed. Yeah. Traditionally, because sound guy says speed. Yeah. It means that the equipment is up to sync speed. They're both running at sync speed. They got a crystal in them because they're two different devices. Traditionally, a sound
0: device, which was like a nagra, or a DAP player, and then the camera, which is a camera. And when they <laughs> turn on, which is this
1: crazy thing yeah, called the cat. And, and,
0: and it captures your soul inside of it. But uh, yeah, you have to turn them both on. You have to wait for them both to get up to a certain uh, fast enough so that they're at the same speed, so that later on you can sync both of them, so you won't have drift.
1: Yeah. So you you know they'll be in your audio. Will, will be in sync with your picture.
0: Yeah, you, you, that's what the clapboard's for. You use that the sound of the, and that's the that's the sound you sync. You, know, yes, you, you line up that the, the, <laughs> the sound with the picture. And right when you see that, the, not when it's a blur, right when you see it, that's, that's where your sync point is.
1: That's where you put the sound of the clap, yes. right there. And, and then, then everything then after theoretically, that. Theoretically, everything after that will be in sync. You've got to keep it locked, though, because if you drift, you're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> and you're fucked. Yeah. Uh, but as an editor, professionally, uh, I see a lot of footage, and I hear a lot of people saying, speeding. Oh, yeah. camera, sounds sound, speeding, and it drives me crazy because that is not proper. If everything was speeding, be we'd be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> going too fast, <laughs> shit would be out of all oh, screwed up. So it's speed. And since you said that, it's just that's like my Niagara Falls, slow Niagara Falls, bit by bit.
0: Niagara Falls drives me crazy. No one it. No, no one knows no, no, Drives me no. crazy. I'm get out of the <laughs> way. Yeah, just Not get so up, hard. Uh, I'm touching me. Joe Besser. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween with Joe Besser.
1: <laughs> Good evening, <laughs> Joe Besser. <laughs> Oddly enough, Joe Besser's the stooge that gets—he's my least favorite stooge, but my but the stooge that gets most mentioned the least. <laughs> uh, I the mean most, the most, yeah, most m- mentioned the most on this show.
0: Yeah, Joe Besser, because he's now showing up on the um, uh, the show.
1: The show of shows.
0: What's the show? What's his face? you uh,
1: Joey Bishop.
0: Joe Bishop show. He's because he's like the super on the show.
1: Get out of the way! I'm playing Santa Claus. And we got reprimanded last time. We said that a lot of people might not know who Joe Besser was. Turns out everybody knows yeah. who Joe Some Besser is. Some guy on Twitter was like,
0: "Shit, motherfucker! I know who <laughs> Joe Besser is, bitch." I'm like, sorry, <laughs> you asshole. Yeah, of course know. I know who Joe Besser is. <laughs> you dumb motherfucker. We're like, who? Who would have known? Who people know who Joe Besser God is? God
1: bless Joe Besser.
0: Yeah. What was his clause in his contract? He didn't want to be touched, right? He didn't like, uh, he didn't like being hit by the Stooges because he came to them in later life. Yeah,
1: he, he was post. Curly and Shemp. Was he post Curly? Was he post Curly Joe? No, I think Shirley, Curly Joe's in the movies. I think. I thought wasn't he in a movie or two? No, I think he was still in the shorts. Uh, to My recollection. I yeah, be yeah,
0: wrong. yeah. But uh, but I heard he wasn't a very nice guy. I mean, you, you know. fuck
1: Joe Bess. <laughs> whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> sit down, sit down, Blake. The wake up your mind. It was yeah. God bless Joe Bess. Yeah, anyway, both. this is the. Uh, we this believe. The fourth. We believe this is our. third third attempt three. at doing a October horror extravaganza. We don't
0: recall if we did um, four for the first year when we did The Punisher, Big Trouble in China. <laughs>
1: <We> count off. <laughs> yeah, count off. <laughs> got, got, got through all the episodes. I mean, it had to be like our third episode. Yeah, because f- we started... Second episode. Yeah,
0: because second... Maybe we weren't even doing I Halloween we themes. did Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. So, and then we did... Yeah, and then we did... um escape from the uh, up, 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 what's the carpenter Big Trouble in China so maybe we only did just Season of the Witch for the for the third episode because then we were already into November we did like what planes and trains and we did uh, Ernest Saves Christmas song. so I don't
1: think we started the full October month of horrors until, until our, our second year until we were comfortable until <laughs> we got past the Batman Batman 1989 anniversary episode
0: the the turning point in our in our podcasting uh, career, uh, career. Um, so we're here n- this week. We're, we're at Blake's, Blake's, mom's house. Yes. And you may hear this. There's a big uh, attic fan going because it's hot as balls. My mom
1: heard. My mom talked to Mrs. Baya about what happened to the basement.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, my mom actually full disclosure <laughs> called Mrs. Fajera up and was like, "You know what your fucking <laughs> the fucking kids are doing?" And then they had like a chitty chat. And then they they might even went and got coffee because then when we got home, they had us both sit down and. And they were both there, and we were at the sitting so living room. So we're not allowed in
1: the basement. Yeah. We're up in the attic space. At, at
0: Blake's mom's house, because we've already put a foot through my dad's, my parents' house, and all that. So we have this attic fan that we can't turn off, and we don't want to ha- wake them up because it could be hot as balls for them. Hotter than a
1: wolfman's nards. <laughs> Hotter than a wolfman's nards. <laughs> the only thing we could maybe stick like a... Yeah. <laughs> We have to <laughs> jump through <laughs> the iron
0: bar through the fan. Yeah, and then stuff. you just hear. It'll <laughs> start
1: smoking as we're <laughs> doing it. But uh, so we apologize if there's some background noise. But uh, then if we turn we it off, move. too, we could start. We can yeah. we'll sweat. We'll as get it. hot, even though you know. autumn is upon us. You know, because I I sweat <sighs> You know, it's anyway, terrible. I mean, we already did the show once. <laughs> <laughs> Just for t- me and Dion. Yeah. Just for <laughs> rehearsal's sake. And until we realized that the light wasn't. Dressed for rehearsal. It wasn't speeding. Um, anyway, so. Uh, we're my in My name's Jay Blake. Yeah. And uh, with me as always is this, this guy, Dion
0: Bayer. Yeah. And uh, you're listening to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Wasn't it the
1: late night Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Yes. Yeah. October horror extravaganza.
0: We should start getting, like, you know, like, uh, you know, my name is Peter Laurie and you're listening to Saturday <laughs> Night Movie Sleepovers or. All the horror, like, you know, um, I'm Vincent Price, and you're listening to Saturday
1: Night Movie Sleepovers. And I don't know what else we could do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh. James Mason. They I'm are. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday <laughs> Night Movie Sleepovers.
0: And Captain uh, Nemo of the Nautilus, and uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm Boss Karloff, and you are all listening to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. <laughs> 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 just over and over <laughs> again, just all old, you know, but. um. We're here this week. We're kicking off uh, October with a bang. This is our
1: first Friday of October, yeah. 2017. We have slated
0: to do... Uh, we're going to up our output to one w- weekly instead of bi-weekly. So this is going to be a real stretch for us. This is this is the time of year when we lose our minds. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know. And uh, we're also, coincidentally, heading back to the well. Yeah. Way that d- was <laughs> Way down the alley. <laughs> going way down the alley, back to the... That 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 fruitful well that never goes was dry was nineteen eighty seven.
0: Yeah, this year that that tree has been ripe and full of plentiful fruit. <laughs> and <we've laughs> we had some people that
1: tree. getting sick in nineteen eighty seven. But I think we, I think the movies we did in nineteen eighty seven were worth doing.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I was thinking about uh, I had sleepovers growing up with like cousins. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Young, that kind of a thing. But I never had my first sleepover. Uh, with a friend until probably 1987. With my friend Martin, he came over and the first movie we watched together. At the first sleepover was Predator.
1: Was Caligula? <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow! My dad's got this movie about the Romans, and we think it's going to be really good. Uh, wow, were we wrong? <laughs> yeah, the first movie was Cruising. <laughs> uh, That's why it's we did it on our show. Yeah, because it was it was uh, it was the craziest uh, sleepover adolescent kids could have. But so I th- I was thinking that I guess. Aside from uh, the randomness of us doing 87, uh, uh, which seems to be not random at all, the ones we're hitting, it seems to be at our age group of being yeah. born in the late 70s that around the eight, nine year mark. That's when. That's when you... I mean, what, can you remember the first sleepover you had that wasn't family related? Or I mean... With a friend? <coughs> I'm, if I'm going to... I want you to take an educated guess.
1: I'm going to say it was probably after we moved out of Philadelphia. Okay. So it probably was like '88. Okay. Um, cause, like, Batman '89, summer of '89 was like my first full summer uh, of sleepover madness. Up in the uh, Albany area, yeah. of New York. So I'm guess it was probably you know after we moved up to Albany, cause uh, there were honestly there weren't like a lot of kids in my neighborhood and in Philadelphia. And uh, I just don't recall having any sleepovers that weren't family, like having, instead of, like, that weren't like my cousin.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah, because <coughs> <you, coughs> I think you brother. get them a little young. You can have, I remember having my cousin sleepover, I, was, I must have been, like, four or five. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's one thing, but then when you have, because then you're not even cognizant. I mean, you're playing with the kid, and then, like, you know, the kid's leaving, you cry, you want the kid to sleep over the night, <laughs> but it's like, I don't remember having that kid over and, you know, watching a movie with him, you know? Yeah, and Who yeah. knows what the hell so you're I'm,
1: doing? Th- I'm going to say it was probably 88
0: so it seems like the, that for us, the 87 hits around the time when people our age would start having these kind of things. Yeah.
1: That know. and, uh, you know, which kind of ties into. Breasts. The m- <laughs> the movie we're doing tonight, uh, The Gate. Yes. From 1987. Back uh, when we did Lost Boys and then again when we did Karate Kid, I had. Karate ma- the, the Kid. Ka- karate. karate Kid. Yes. <laughs> uh, I had mentioned that there was a handful of movies that, when we kind of envisioned a show about sleepovers and nostalgic uh, nostalgia for movies of our youth, there were certain movies that I was very excited to do. You had a bucket list you took out this year, and they were all from 1987. And, and this <laughs> year you you, you, <laughs> you these because they all want to hit video. That all would hit VHS by 88? 88.
0: the year you started having your sleepovers. <laughs> the year I started having sleepovers. So Blake took his wallet out, took that crinkled piece of paper, opened it up, and he goes, this is what we're doing this year. And he named out K- Karate Kid. Yammy. Yeah, <laughs> Yammy. Yeah, over the top. <laughs> Karate Kid. Dream Warriors. Uh, Avengers: of <laughs> <and> Babysitting. Predator. <laughs> Robocop. Uh, uh, Lost Boys. Lost Boys. Karate Kid. Karate Kid. Not 87. And uh, this movie here.
1: Um, the Gate. Yes. Uh... Which has nothing to do with the fence. So 1980s. So <laughs> yes, but the gate more than any other movie. This was probably like first on the list. Yeah. This was probably like oh, if we're going to call a movie Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, we have to do the gate. Yeah. Uh, That's how excited
0: you were about. Yeah. It, I was excited.
1: Gate. I, th- we were at a diner. I pushed all the yeah. food off the table. Then I said "Gersant <laughs> coffee," and then they,
0: the person <laughs> came <laughs> was like "Gersant" means girl or boy, and I was like, "Oh well, the fuck, do I know and, I'm too?" Uh,
1: And I was like, uh, what's the soup to shore? (laughs) Like, that's super Well, That sounds good. I'll have that. Yeah. Uh, And uh, because for me, The Gate is like the quintessential sleepover movie. It's just for some reason I equate it with sleepovers. Uh, the only other thing that you would maybe add to this movie to make it even more sleepovers, which would be maybe a little bit of an older sleepover, is to add some tits. Yeah. But That's why th- I
0: said I blurted out <laughs> breasts a minute ago, because when you hit this age, for at least for boys...
1: Yeah, maybe I'd say some would girls. you like, 11, 12, oh, For 13, me, it was, like, 8, 9. Well, yeah, but, know? like... the fact Normal kids. Like, <laughs> the way that you would... <coughs> you probably... Maybe, maybe Pat would have, but your dad <laughs> most parents <laughs> wouldn't have rented a movie for kids that might have had that when they were like nine or ten, uh, but like p g thirteen, yeah, you know around that, like I feel like you they might have sli- you might have slipped in there, yeah, my dad was
0: <laughs> renting Roger Corbin's like big Bad Mama, and they were getting like all those you know,
1: and when when we get to uh, eventually... Body Double <laughs> when we get to Toxic Avenger, eventually, I have trauma a, a rental story. <laughs> Running Toxic Avenger. The
0: trauma of traumas, Toxic Adventure. So that but was a big thing for kids when you get to that age 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you start being cognizant of what that thing is down there and you're like, oh, and then you feel like, you know, you start feeling like what you're attracted to. And for a lot of yes. boys, uh, sometimes they start seeing the female figure and they're like, wow. And then that and was a lore for.
1: Now, that was back when you just couldn't see them Google everywhere. You <laughs> couldn't Google it.
0: Yeah, <laughs> You'd have to go look for Playboys or your brother's magazines or you'd or have to go to a store and try to... raw bra a
1: ads in
0: a, in a s- catalog. In a, yeah, in a Sears and Robot catalog. Like, you're not looking at the Christmas section, I know.
1: <laughs> uh, but, you know, what's interesting, we brought up this idea of 87, 88 being around the time that we start to have sleepovers and the reason why some of these movies are kind of the movies that at least I'm feeling very nostalgic for. Uh... It's interesting that going forward with The Gate and listening to the way the people that made The Gate talk about The Gate back in 1987, they were really trying to make a horror movie for children. Yeah. Which is kind of unheard of. I mean, sure, there were, you know, uh, like Mr. Bogety, and there, there were... Disney movies. That yeah, were, there yeah. were horror-esque Family, family-friendly stuff. You know, and even you could say Scooby-Doo or whatever. Black you Hole. Know. But they were... <laughs> well, Black Holes. That's a whole other entity. <laughs> That's a whole other but thing. But it's supposed to fit I mean, in that model. But, you know, I guess if you look back even before this... Disney was making pr- some pretty messed up horror movies, yeah. like Watcher in the Woods*, and, and
0: get to make a, the, it got them to make uh, *Touchstone*. They're like, "We can't keep doing this. <laughs> we're keep on screwing up <laughs> kids. are fucking up too many kids. <laughs> and
1: we're tarnishing the name of Disney. Yeah. We have to call it something else. Yeah. We can still screw up the kids. we, yeah, we do not worry else. about
0: the children. We just don't want to tarnish the name.
1: But uh, it's until I heard them say that they were making a horror movie for kids, I never really, it never even occurred to yeah. me. You know, I guess because the first time I saw it, I was a kid. It was probably like 1988, 89 at the latest when I first saw it. Uh, And I've always thought this movie as being kind of messed up. Yeah, (laughs) and it it kind of came out But I guess it makes sense because Gremlins was probably a horror movie for kids too. Yeah,
0: that was scary because certain parts of that, you're laughing at one part and I remember still being quite freaked out at other elements of Gremlins. And I mean, this movie was conceived uh, by the writer as being a pretty messed up movie, but then when he got... Into the production, the company that ended up uh, putting up the money to to, to make The Gate, they were like, wait, they weren't comfortable with the idea of making a horror movie and having the entire cast be children and have it not be marketed to children. And I guess that's something that you don't even think about today, but back then that would have been relevant. And that is also something that also from 87 we did a couple years ago, Monster Squad. Yeah. That could have been the, uh, the reason Monster Squad didn't do as well when it came out was because maybe it didn't know what audience it was trying to get. It, was, it had a kid's yeah. cast. It was I trying to go towards the, p- the people, the, the adults who had a nostalgia for 50s and 60s monsters and yeah. you know, J- uh, forced Ackerman stuff. And, you sure, know, and, and
1: I also think like, the parents
0: didn't know yeah, that's some, the whole, whole marketing. Like, yeah. who, who, what is this for? Is yeah, like? like,
1: they didn't know if they could bring their kids to it.
0: Yeah, or if they should. Yeah, exactly. But, uh... This movie, I think, right out of the gate. <laughs> 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 that they realize, hey, let's make this more towards... Market towards kids. And... Like we said um, in take two of this that didn't get recorded. This um, is kinda like the redheaded stepbrother of all those eighties like kids on an adventure movie. Yeah, Goonies. Like Goonies Explorers. Yeah, uh, even Stand By Me. Yeah, and uh, Monster Squad. Monster Squad. It the T V version that comes out a couple years later with Tim Curry. You have a lot of the I mean, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a couple others where there's, you know, there there's a bunch of kids going on an adventure or kids getting scared and they have to do something. You know, uh, and that's uh, now you're starting to see with Stranger Things, the popularity of Stranger Things. They're looking, they're looking for like, what is a kid's property? We can let's remake it. You know, and what else can we do? Oh, let's remake freaking uh, Monster Squad. Let's remake. Well, that's the the thing
1: is like now we'll now we've said it on the show before. Our generation and the generations immediately surrounding our generation, I think, are are nostalgic. In a different way than previous generations, uh, more apt to collect things, I think, uh, to be passionate about it, like unabashedly uh, pursue it. And well, they so also
0: have like the means to be able to do that to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, because back in back in our parents' days, you got. Married, and you had kids pretty young. And yeah. so, like, you didn't have... You went right to work to, to support, support the family. spend on action figures and Yeah, and, and this was the disposable
0: income you had, you wouldn't be able to spend it on yourself. you spent spend it on your kid's toys, or taking the kid to the movies, or a ball game, or something. The, the bowling alley. Yeah, and
1: I just... Th- but I also Or drinking. We, I don't know. Our generation is... Maybe it's because our fucking generation was
0: awesome.
1: Mm. We had awesome shit. <laughs> but, but the 80s was, like, a great... We were on that
0: cusp of analog
1: to digital, too. And we were, we were the prime age for the video store generation, too, yeah. which is, if you think about it in that perspective, we were the first, the youngest generation. Like, my brother was part of it, too, but he was older than me. So we were, like, the youngest generation you could be to instantly have movies at your fingertips, not as much so today with streaming, but to be able to go to a video store and rewatch things, yeah, or tape it off of television, yeah, and watch it over and over again. So our our generation is the first generation to be able to watch movies into nausea. Yeah, not the like the young, the first youngest generation. Because anybody younger than us would have been like, that would already be they already had it. Yeah, we yeah. were the
0: first the,
1: the people older than us. For so like, when just really started to hit its stride, we were the perfect age to be, like, as young as you could be to really get it and appreciate it and be able to watch Black Hole over yeah. every time you go to the video store, read Black Hole and over all those, over you know, all again. those Disney
0: live-action movies. And then cable the, TV. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of stuff, like, since we're talking Disney, they jumped on that and they re-released all their movies for theatrical runs purposely to get them to go on video so you had bambi you had pinocchio you yeah. had all those and then all the movies that came out like we said raiders two a month ago that was the first movie to really sell like hotcakes on video you know so it's like as soon as what is that maybe like late 70s 1980 yeah you know that was all into and the then 80s. when we did
1: karate kid that was like karate kid karate kid <laughs> karate, yeah. uh, that was the first that was like for the year after that came out that was the hottest selling vhs you know, comb video
0: yeah. sales
1: for like that year was karaoke. Yeah, we had that taped <laughs> off HBO on my tape. Yeah. So uh, we also were the, f- so we were a generation that got to view things in a different way than our pre- than previous generations, which I think um, plays a lot into the nostalgia we have for it. So when you talk about Stranger Days, that movie's uh, Stranger Things. That uh, Stranger Days is a whole different movie, worthwhile, (laughs) but a different, different topic. Uh, Stranger Things, like that's a show made by people our age, for people our age, to be nostalgic about our childhood, uh, stuff like that, and you know, it obviously, which is breaking like horror box office box office records. Of course movies cost more now than ever, so is I don't really, know. How. Is it really is <coughs> it really breaking box it's office? It's like the highest grossing horror movie of all time. Really? But movies are like twenty dollars now. Yeah. <coughs> or it's like second. Or like it's on it's on its way to being the highest grossing like box office horror movie of that all. That had time. to be some sort of serendipitous kind of
0: draw. I mean, not to take anything away from if the movie's good or not. Yeah, yeah. But it's just you know, I it has to be because people love stranger things so much and they just take it. <laughs> You know I mean? That's a
1: good point because people ask like why, and it's like, well, I, I mean, think it's, they were one, it's one of King's most beloved books. But at the at the end of the day, like, how many people have early you know, of a of a movie going audience, which is typically teenagers to yeah. early twenties, I mean, really, how many of those people that have made, are, that are breaking these records read the book it or seen um, the
0: first TV movie? So I think it's I I've said that since they they took that they they. they decided the green light that 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 they're just looking for properties that are like stranger things because all they want to do is just sell us product anymore. You know? So they're but like, But if the cool. product's
1: good, I'm not complaining. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I really enjoyed it and I and it is very much in the vein of this movie. Like kids on a horror adventure. And uh this movie has a very special place in my heart. I uh I don't necessarily remember the very first time the circumstances of seeing it for the very first time, but I do remember like the impact, the visuals that that movie made on me when I saw it for the first time, the minions and the that eye in the hand uh. and and all that stuff. It's like uh, you know the director talks about how for him, reason why he liked the idea of doing this movie and for doing it for children was this idea that. Uh, film and art kind of fuels, uh, creativity and the imagination in kids. And I think in a way like horror movies do that in a very specific way that other things don't for children. I think it, you know, obviously a lot of it is because some of it traumatizes us. (laughs) And so it sticks with us in, in, in the long run. Uh, there are things that I know uh, that aren't even horror movies that you see uh, when you're a kid and you don't know what it is because it's on TV but something about it kind of I know Sorcerer stir- sorcerers that way for you but it's like there's imagery or something that you see as a kid and you're not sure what it is and then you spend like the rest of your life being like what the hell was that movie but where I, this happened I
0: wasn't I, I was I you had the similar things like I mean growing up I specifically had Sorcerer I had the boys from Brazil they were like a uh, George C. Scott movie called Rage that I only just found like the last past couple of years that, that you just see these these situations on television that you probably shouldn't be watching but they're just so polarizing or just so impactful that they sear onto your retina and you remember them but you can't figure it. like the source or the scene with the truck on the bridge and the storm and it's like and that took me 20 years to figure out what that was you know
1: yeah did I you mean, ever I don't have anything that, that, that you because oh. even
0: to this day I still have Two or three movies that I don't know the name of that I still remember the plot well enough, and yeah. I still can't figure out what the hell. There's a black helicopters movie where they're like, the the uh, the government's like hiding some sort of secret project, and they're taking cows, and they're like killing cows, and they're dropping them in the ocean, and uh, some guy named Morgan gets poisoned on the side of the road, and I I, I always thought that was Rage, uh, with George C. E. Scott, but it's a completely different movie. So yeah, there's things that stay with you. That may not be horror-related, but they're yeah. just so off-putting or disturbing to you as a viewer.
1: Yeah. And for then
0: it, for, and that, as a child, because you're just recording everything as a kid. There aren't many. I
1: can't th- There's only one I can really think of offhand. I mean, there's stuff like... I not re- Caligula. I remember seeing, like, uh, The Man with Two Heads. With Steve Martin? No, that's Ray Brains. Yeah. Oh, the Ray
0: Millan movie, where he's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Is that the man or the thing with doing whatever that was. I it remember seeing Story. that on TV and for the longest time being like, What was that crazy movie? Like I had two aliens. Yeah. Uh there's some alien movie that I wanna say is some movie that uh was like an existing movie that maybe Corman bought the footage from and made like a new movie out of it. Uh is that the World War Two one? I don't know. Some sp- no, this was like some space Movie no. and I just remember images from seeing it on television. Uh, that if I ever saw it, and I remember, I only say the Corman thing because I feel like at some point years ago seeing something about, I mean, like I think that's the movie that I saw as a kid on TV because
0: I went through a crazy. Uh, we were just talking about this, like a sci-fi fifties horror phase when I was little because Invader Invaders from Mars had just been re-released and came on uh, movie channel. And I had just been introduced to the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So I was eating all that up and going back and looking at War of the Worlds. And that TV show just came on in the 80s. Yeah. And Forbidden Planet. But there was some crazy show, movie where it was took place in World War II. But it was like an, they shot it. It's an 80s movie. And it's about an alien coming down. And they kind of look like well, moles. this was like probably shot in the 60s. Yeah, this was like they're like moles. And they're, they're talking to the... Uh, they got like kind of like mole eyes and they're like aliens and they're talking to the to the soldiers and then I don't know what the hell happens but it's a low budget movie but I still don't know the name of that movie yeah. it, you know and it's like
1: And the other the other one that I remember cuz I don't know for people that don't know uh as much as horror was kind of a thing throughout my life and I think for a lot of kids a lot of pe- people our age horror <coughs> was such a big thing in the 80s Jason and Freddy even though maybe you weren't into their movies, you knew who they were. They were like
0: rock stars. Um, <laughs> Getting into p- parties and stuff.
1: And uh, and then, you know, we've talked about uh, we talked about how you had, like, Friday the 13th series and Werewolf the series and all these horror television shows. So horror was always a big thing, but I didn't really get hardcore into horror movies until we got into college. I mean, I was into them in high school, but I wasn't, like, an avid. We rented them a lot as with my friends, uh, for sleepovers and not sleepovers just to watch movies uh, so i started getting into them then but there wasn't uh, a whole lot of like actively finding cr- you know movies or weird stuff so i remember in high school seeing parts of phantasm 2 oh of course and but not in having seen phantasm yeah and so, just seeing this crazy movie with like these little chainsaw fight, <laughs> a chainsaw fight, and these little beings from another planet. yeah, those two guys running around, and, with balls uh, flying around for years, even into college, being like, what, "There's this movie with a chainsaw fight and these little people." Or, yeah, I and everybody that. being like, "Oh, you're talking about Army of Darkness," and be like, "No, I'm not Whoa. talking about Army of Darkness." And then finally seeing. uh Phantasm and then Phantasm 2, like, oh, it, it's Phantasm 2, because, uh, you know, talk about, you know, The Gate. Uh, I think The Gate is a highly imaginative horror movie and, and kind of very unique, especially for, for the time. The Phantasm movies, I mean, t- you know, Don Coscarelli, is a, well, especially with the first one, that movie is even by today's standard. It's just completely unique, completely imaginative, and fucking out there. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and I I love uh, those movies for that reason. Um, but uh, in a previous rehearsal of us trying to do <laughs> record this show, uh, talking about the gate as being this kind of very unique and highly imaginative movie, I pointed out, and I'm going to point out again. That uh, 1987 seemed to be a year for a lot of really unique horror movies. We had Hellraiser came out, which uh, to this day, other than the sequels, there's nothing quite like Hellraiser. But imagine like 1987, Hellraiser comes out, uh, Evil Dead 2 comes out, Lost Boys, which we did on the show, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warrior, which we did on the show. But that's arguably like the most kind of... Maybe imaginative of the series. Creep Show 2, Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, which is probably his most out there and most imaginative horror movie. Uh, Near Dark, The Monster Squad, which we did on the show. Predator, which we did on the show. Uh, House 2, Street Trash, Angel Heart, yeah. which is a Favorite movie that uh, Dion and I loved. The Curse, Dario Gento had opera come out. Peter Jackson did bad taste. Uh, I think
0: Friday the 13th, maybe Part 7 came out then, too.
1: Michelle Suave. uh, And like you
0: said, we we had a lot of stuff on TV, too. Tales from the Dark Side. We had um, uh, maybe Friday the 13th, the series around that time. Yeah,
1: Uh, Werewolf, the series... A lot of that anthology might have been eighty-seven, might have started eighty-eight, shortly after this. Yeah. But by the time these movies came out on video, Werewolf was out. The for Twilight sure.
0: Zone, the remake that the of the TV show that was on, and in then the he 80s. had like
1: You also had like an eighties version of Hitchcock Presents. Yeah, uh,
0: but but you may, and Ray Bradbury, you had like a Ray Bradbury show that was those so anthologies. So like late
1: eighties, and looking at like the movies that came out in nineteen eighty-seven, like a very unique, like year for horror because yeah. very few you could this list of movies other than you maybe say Lost Boys and Near Dark being vampire movies like none of those movies are alike to each other Yeah, (laughs) or like anything that's coming out you know other than the sequels obviously of like Nightmare on Elm Street and if there's a Friday the 13th that came out there those are sequels so of course those are kind of like its predecessors but all the other movies that aren't sequels in that list a really crazy like batshit crazy uh, list of movies and you still get a lot of
0: that space kind of at you know because You know, people were still infatuated in the 80s with space and aliens, so you still kind of have like Hellraisers kind of got a weird dimensional space thing.
1: Like we're talking about people of our generation doing things like Stranger Things as kind of nostalgic, looks back at the things they were into when they were kids or looking back finally. That was what the filmmakers of the 80s were looking back at the 50s and the science fiction movies. That's why you had uh, The Blob, which we did on the show, even Night of the Creeps which isn't a, a direct remake, but definitely in, in that vein. Uh, the, the remake, thing, uh, the, the remake fly. Of,
0: the fly, the remake of Invaders from Mars, the uh, yeah. Invasion of the Bison, which is late 70s, and uh, the War of the Worlds TV show that they made, uh, you know, to, to capitalize. So you had a lot of that. But in the
1: midst of all that, we have this little Canadian production yeah. called The Gate come out yeah. about kids. There's even a sleepover <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, yeah
0: uh director Tibor Takakis uh directed this and then the right written by Michael uh Nankin.
1: Nankin. Now Nankin, uh he was an aspiring director and I think maybe had done something already, but he was in New York, had was set to do another picture, direct a feature, and all of a sudden everything fell through and it never happened. So kind of uh now it kind of broke unemployed, possibly divorced maybe even. I've heard reports of that. He moves back in with his parents and he decides to write like the most angry messed up version of his childhood (laughs) to kind of exercise his anger and he writes the first draft of the movie that becomes The Gate. Uh, He originally intended it to be like we said earlier for adults not a kids movie but it was about kids and a lot of his childhood is kind of in it he he grew up he had his best friend in his neighborhood was named terry just like glenn's uh best friend in the neighborhood in this movie and terry the first day that he moved into his house uh michael nankin moved into his house when he was a kid terry comes up and says you know your house is haunted (laughs) uh there's a workman died make, building your house and they didn't want to tell the police so they put him in the wall. They just buried him in the wall. And yeah. so that's in this script, you know, and, and uh, in the original versions of the script, he and uh, Glenn and Terry were trying to build a, ho- uh, dig a hole to China, which is something that Michael Nankin did with his friend Terry. And uh, yeah, he'd been established as a
0: director because he did Midnight Madness in 1980 and he was, he was starting to write this with the idea of, you said, because of the failure in New York. Yeah, of t- he was t- just wanted know, to write something really dark to mess it up that he can use as a as a vehicle to direct again. Yeah, so he originally wrote this as a vehicle to direct, but, but he makes it so dark because of all this terrible stuff going on <laughs> in his life. Mo- moving back in with it when he's thirty, he had to move back in with his parents, so he just feels humiliated and gutted, and his career's over. So he just starts writing such fucked up. Like I'm gonna, and that was like his purpose. I'm gonna write such yeah, dark. Yeah. So, but he's
1: r- but he's going back to his childhood and and the, like you said, early versions of the script uh Terry and Glenn how they unearthed the gate is they're digging a hole in China which is something him and his friend his real friend Terry did and apparently there's a funny story in that they built they dug this enormous hole in in his friend Terry's backyard in real life and they were working on this all summer digging this giant hole and uh until the gardener fell into it yeah like the friends f- the friends
0: parents gardener fell into it
1: and then sued Terry's dad and then they had to fill it yeah. up. <laughs> so they and ended that was their a journey to China. That's so funny because that
0: was a thing. You, me- I remember that when I was little. About I don't, I never hear that anymore. But that's the thing: if you dig, you'll get to China. And that was like, a, well, let's try to dig to China. It's like <laughs> that was the thing. <laughs> why? Is, why? Why of all things is that a thing? There's
1: this uh, flat Earth people aren't going to like that. I rem- uh, unfortunately I can't remember which one it is, but there's this Buster Keaton short. Yeah, where. Something happens and he he jumps off of like a diving board or something, and then there's a title card that comes up that says like due to you know history and the frailty of film, the ending of this movie has been lost all that's all that remains is like this still image of what was from the original ending. and the joke was that he dives off the diving board and then f- like falls into a hole. And ends up in China, and then so the end of the movie, according to this title card, is that he crawls out of the hole with like a Chinese family, and so like the the end so the still they show the still here. so the still images like Buster Keaton in like stereotypical Chinese clothing yeah with a bunch of Asian people around him, and when you watch it for the first time, you see this and you're like, what? Because it's it's like almost the fact that. It doesn't exist, and all you see this still is like a much funnier joke. <laughs> and him coming out of the hole. And... It's, it's like this weird... It's very like this weird like millennial joke of like, it doesn't exist anymore, but this was the ending of this movie. So when you see this weird still, so uh, going back to the 20s, this idea yeah. of that if you dug from America through the Earth... And you get to China. The core of the Earth, you would end up in China, which... Most places, I think, in America, if you actually did that, you'd end up in Australia or in the ocean, but yeah, uh, so that weird. was the idea that you would... And defeat. it's so weird because I don't think... Th-
0: I, I haven't heard that at all. It's oh, like there's so many things that we, we were just kids lost that I wonder if... <laughs> that they're just lost on the anals of history. The anals of history. Annals of history. Uh, but yeah, you said the script was a lot darker, you know. Um, and it
1: was also bigger in scale, The evil was going to take over the whole neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and it was dark in that you know the dog died and never came
0: back the kids were very more mis- mischievous they yeah, were like, like you darker. almost were happy that this yeah.
1: messed up shit was happening which
0: I like then. that that they the idea of making the kids like almost like an EC Comics yeah. where you, you give them such you know there's they're, like we're talking about last week with um, Blade Runner with like say you know they, when they ca- in the original script when they ca- captured the moths and the the jar, they, there was a scene in the original script where they took the wings off the yeah, moths, like ripping, ripping the wings off, you know, the moths. so that you're then you kind of like you're saying you, you're okay with them getting their come up and see like when shit yeah. starts going down. But you said when the evil comes out, uh, it, it starts like grabbing neighbors out of houses and dragging them like into the hole, and uh, you know, the the the, the hole um, grew so much larger that it was sucking in parts of the neighborhood and the demon lord guy was, like, more human-like, and mm-hmm. it was it, it was just a lot more crazier, and I guess that's probably because of budgetary restrictions and then this idea of, well, yeah. we want to market it. Tour kit, two kids, so let's not make it two folks. So they were trying to juggle with that R or PG-13 rating.
1: And uh, so Nankin kind of options, the sc- sells the script, still with the intention, his understanding, that he's going to direct the movie.
0: Yeah, to some producer. I forget, he's a kind of well-known producer.
1: And then that person... I guess they like half the funding was in place and it was just a matter of getting the second half of the funding.
0: And he was developing it himself kind of. He's start starting to think of like, you know, shot compositions and what a director does. You start yeah, thinking yeah. out scenes and how you shoot it and then yeah.
1: So then that producer ends up selling unbeknownst to Nankin, sells the movie to another pro- another company and another producer. Uh, and then all of a sudden Nankin hears that he's no longer directing the movie. It's now been sold to uh, Canadian company called Alliance and a producer named John Kemney and uh, Andres Hamori. Uh, And uh, this was a time when a lot of people were going to Canada to shoot movies because there was these tax shelters and stuff for people uh, in Canada to put money into movies and so, a lot of production was starting to happen. And yeah, t- especially TV. You're and then TV, t- what's 21, 21 Jump Street? 21
0: Street. MacGyver was shot up in Vancouver, so a lot, or maybe Toronto, one of the two. But yeah. the, a lot of stuff was going because you can double it for New York.
1: And the American dollar back then went a lot further in Canada than it did here.
0: Yeah. And I even feel like they shot The Fly up in the remake of The Fly. Well, yeah, well,
1: can, uh, Cronenberg. Oh, yeah, he, he is, is Canadian. A, he's I'm sorry. A Canadian yeah. director. But then, then
0: there's somebody. What, was, what did we do recently where it was the same. Um, Alleyway, didn't we just do a movie that was? Uh, well, it and
1: Adventures in Babysitting.
0: Adventures and Babysitting. They shot, yeah, that's yeah. supposed to be Chicago, but they shot parts of that in Canada. Like yeah. none of it, I think, was shot. in
1: there's like this, ad- there's like this back industrial area, and, um, Adventures in Adventures and Babysitting, and the exteriors of that industrial area are the same exteriors of where uh, Seth Brundle in The Fly lives. Cause yeah. they shot that in the same area. I mean, even
0: the, the bar, the bar they go to, they don't even name the, they don't even hide the name of the bar. That's a very famous, like, Toronto or Vancouver Blues Club. <laughs> you know, that's supposed to be Chicago. And then that's, yeah, they put, like, a map painting of Chicago in the background when they yeah, did that yeah. shot when they were by the riverfront, you know? So a lot of people were going because it was, and then, but but that wasn't, you take that, take that out of the uh, uh, picture, you've always had, and since you're, it's funny because, going down a rabbit hole it's like when I got into college I thought I was a pretty good horror aficionado Yeah. and then you know you said you weren't really into it I remember like hipping you to the thing well not in, hipping you but we were yeah, like yeah. hey look at this remember this and then you you flew right past me and you've become this force to be reckoned with but so my point is you will know better than I will but it's funny that Canada's always had that horror niche with Bob Clark and you know yeah, you Bob Clark and Cronenberg in the yeah.
1: 70s yeah well back like, in the 70s with Black Christmas
0: another great movie we did a, the cast, maybe the first year for Christmas. That was our first
1: Christmas cast. Yeah, that yeah. and uh, my favorite, Ernest, Ernest goes, Ernest <laughs> saves Christmas. That was our first year. Well, back in the seventies, anyway, there was like a, f- a Canadian, like f- governmental, like film board, and so the government would actually fund these movies. And then it became a big question as to whether the government people, some some Canadian citizens, were like. Should our money be going towards funding David Cronenberg movies? Well, it is kind of like
0: weird propaganda, like they're going to start funding like arts, but it's... Yeah, it's weird. It's I mean, it's a. But the it's problem th-
1: was they couldn't not fund the Cronenberg movies because the Cronenberg movies were the ones that were making them. That were the only movies they were funding that were making their money back. Oh, so <laughs> it wasn't even like
0: a. Do- it wasn't even like a charity. They were funding in the hopes to recoup some money. Yeah, well, so I would they ima- were making money on these movies. Yeah,
1: and I would imagine I don't know for sure, but I would imagine then the hopes would be that that money would then go back into you know would fund more films
0: maybe. after lining the people's pockets.
1: You know, uh, so. People are like, you know, things like Shivers and Rabbit, Like, this is where, like, our tax dollars is going to. But that's those are the only movies turning a profit. Yeah. So, uh, but then Cronenberg talks about how there's, like, a two-edged, double-edged sword there. Because then, here we have the MPAA, and you can choose to cut something out, you know, that they find objective. In nudity, the States. Yeah. And you can say like, well, you can leave it in, but it'll be ra- rated R, or you can cut it out; it'll be rated PG thirteen, or you can leave it in; it'll be NC seventeen. You have the choice. Whereas in the, in the states, but in, in the Canada. states, but in Canada, if they want you to cut something out, it's against the law not to cut it. Because, because <laughs> yeah,
0: because there, that's the, that's the, I guess the price you pay for having you don't it be have, financial you backers. You don't have
1: the choice. Although, the stuff that Cronenberg was getting away with, I can't imagine that. You know, like uh but so by the 80 by the late 80s now was like we said there was these tax shelters and a lot of people a lot of american productions were now going to uh canada and so this was shot in canada with um a fantastic cast of kids cuz c- kids are tricky because very easily you can cast kids and have them be annoying to to the, to the audience yeah or just like really bad but i feel like uh Good old Steven Dorff. This is his first th- yeah. like feature role, and I think he's great in it. Um, Krista Denton, who plays his sister Al, I think she's great. Louis Tripp is great. Like I just like, I like the cast a lot, um, and there's a lot of comedy that goes on with the. Uh, the the friends Linda and Lori kept no, hated them. <laughs> but there's some funny stuff. Yeah, with the, with the the, with the, with her hair, and the the, uh, it's so funny to think <laughs> that
0: was like, a, that was like a a style that you see, you know, it spoofed in that movie. Every, uh, there's something about Mary. Uh, I thought the kid Louis Tripp, who did, I guess he played Terry. Yeah. I thought he was phenomenal. Yeah. In it Stephen Dorff to me came off a little weird because at some points he seemed to me like, I don't know, he looked like. Chubby in some scenes, then other scenes he's not. Like, it's like he kind of looked like when he's standing straight, he looked fine, but then in other scenes he kind of looked weird. Like, he was not like a dwarf, but like he looked yeah. kind of like smaller than usual. And he, he, um, I couldn't get my head around if I liked him as a character or not. Yeah. You know?
1: And, uh, I think he's, I personally think he's great. Uh, I think he does a fabulous he job. He does, he does this great job of, which I th- I think is not an easy job for an actor to do, which is, one carrying uh, a movie like this but two like not basically what's going basically a lot of what's happening in the movie is this idea of like fear of abandonment which is like he's he feels like he's being abandoned by his older sister they were close and now she wants to go shopping with her friends his parents go away they're abandoning him the fucking dog dies. Well, even
0: the movie starts off so weird because it's just this weird journey. It's so out there where it doesn't really set anything up. It just goes. Yeah. So the first, even when we started watching it, I didn't know if we it skipped. a scene because when because i don't remember the only thing i remember from it is like the The construction worker yeah that scared me as a kid coming out of the wall and then the like the end when they got you know the big hole in the floor and stuff coming out Yeah, yeah i didn't remember the minions too much the small guys so when the movie starts and you're just on this journey and he's and dwarfs walking around and you know you're like what is oh he's and then you're thinking it's probably a dream sequence so it just goes and you really need to you, you, the the whole production is really depending on him to carry the movie because yeah. you're really following his
1: journey through the entire thing. And, and I feel like he does a great job of being able to do this and being like a little brother without being like an annoying whiny kid. He's likable. He he's likable, and you never think like I never feel like he's whining. Like he's like when he's like to his sister, like what are you throwing this stuff out for? Yeah. Like to me, it's like. I, could, I feel like I feel that. Like I could I know what it's like to feel that. And it doesn't ever seem like he's just like, oh, like being this annoying little brother. Like you really kinda of take a side. And he has like the un uh you know, flattering task, you know, this potentially unflattering task of being the one to be the uh naysayer, like the skeptic, like when Terry's like this album, and they, they came from Europe, Sacrifice, and they know all this stuff, and all this stuff's in here. Look at it, and he and Stephen Dorff has to be the one one's like, like really? Yeah, it's, it's an it's album. An, it's, it's, a, it's a record. <laughs> the <hell> you? <laughs> you know, he has to be the. He also has to be like the naysayer and the, uh, the skeptic of the whole thing. I mean,
0: he does a good job with it. I mean, especially for it being his first role, yeah. and then then they said how many people they tested to, you know, I don't know, hundreds of kids, and they, 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 they maybe shot screen tests to like, 30, and then they narrowed down and got the cast from here. But they're amazing. I mean, even the kid, this Lewis Tripp, who didn't really go on to do that much, he's, what, stars in the sequel?
1: He's, he's the, the lead in the sequel, yeah. And then
0: now he's had some weird thing where he's gone He's changed his name a couple times. He now lives in Australia, and he's, like, a he's either an occultist or, like, some sort of scholar there.
1: So Lewis Tripp uh, plays... Terry in this, and then Terry in the second film, uh, he's basically the second film uh, Terry's the lead of the second film. Uh, he retired from acting at age 17 he's, like you, like Dion said changed his name a couple times, and who knows with the internet if this is true, but apparently at one time he was calling himself 1220 because uh, Lewis, beginning with L, L is twelve. I guess the 12th letter in the alphabet. I didn't do the homework to check if this is true, but this is what they were saying online. And T T being the 20th letter in the alphabet. I don't know if that's true. What I do know is true is that he does live in Australia. He's an awesome actor. (laughs) That he's fucking awesome. What I do know is true that he moved to Australia. He's a musician and a writer. He they supposedly changed his name again. He changed his name to Mm. Baphomet. Baph for short. As you do. And he does like industrial... M- uh, kind of electronic music, and also some video work under a under a music name of e- the initials XAOS. To living, and as of September twenty second, on his website uh, he wrote rea- two thousand seventeen. Two thousand seventeen. Uh, just a couple of weeks uh, before, not even two weeks before, uh, since we did our la- uh, since we recorded this show, he released a new video on his website called "Volley in Current Culture War." Well,
0: we'll have to put a link to it in our in our posting here. I mean, I find him phenomenal because for me, growing up, there's a couple things to go over uh, since we're getting off the rest stop and talking about him and his character. You have, for me, uh, he's older than the Stephen Dwarf's character, yeah, by a couple of years or whatever, and at least a year, yeah. maybe two. And he, to me, is the embodiment of me growing up with my best friends and his brothers. Like, that was what we wore, the sleeveless leather, of uh, sleeveless jean jacket or jean vest. Yeah, yeah. You know, in his room, that was what my best friend's brothers had all over. That was like, they looked like they shot it in their room with the Iron Maiden posters and all, you know, you had like, you know, Bark at the Moon, you have yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So when we talked about the Warriors podcast, I said when we were little, me and my best friend used to like go home and we'd. Dress up in my best friend's brother's clothes and play the Warriors in the backyard. We'd grab all those clothes and we'd have like you know, uh, lucky uh, bunny rabbit thinking things hanging off our ears be, to be yeah. earrings or the, the clip ones you know or whatever. We'd have you know and we'd wear all this. So like it, that was such a flashback to that era. And then as well, it's funny to think that like st- I would say starting probably in really in the seventies, but it, you saw a little bit in the sixties. There was this huge weird. Um, subculture that got into the occult you know and it became kind of like almost mainstream where you had like you know Huxley but you had people who were just doing like I have I'm a big fan of Vincent Price and he did a bunch of records in the early 70s like rich witchcraft records and stuff and they're really odd you know I have them and I don't know if they've ever been released again but it's just him like doing spells or (laughs) him like you know how to how to see the dead uh, and each thing is like how to conjure up, how to go whatever, how to curse somebody. These are the ingredients. And but they're dead pan serious. They're not like yeah. tongue in cheek. One of them might be tongue in cheek, but it's so odd to think that you're coming to this and me and you are gonna go home, buy it, put it on. You know, our parents are like, What the fuck are you listening to? <laughs> you know, and they, you know, about going out to like, you know, cemeteries yeah, yeah. at night. So when it gets into the eighties that was still a huge thing, so it's such a weird Subculture of yeah. people being well, yeah. interested in the, the occult became a big you know, thing. You had
1: Alice Crowley. Uh, you know, we talked about in a recent episode Kenneth Anger, an experimental filmmaker. He was like a Satanist. Yeah, uh, he might have been brought up in the cruising. There was uh, episode. Uh, yeah,
0: because and of his Scorpio Rising movie and all that. You know
1: and uh you know jimmy page there's always talk about jimmy page and led zeppelin yeah and, and then of course ozzy and, and the i the think 80s. jimmy page even did buy like alexander crowley's house or something like that and then black sabbath in the 70s and uh, although black sabbath always sung about like you know warning against it yeah you know but still they happen. were kind of they're all cautionary tales <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, but then in this year, and then in the 80s you'd write yet you ozzy and um, Even uh, Bob but,
0: Clark's um, children shouldn't play with dead things. Isn't that? Aren't they in the movie trying to like that one guy's trying to like do a séance and they bring that zombie that body back to life?
1: You know, it's all like yeah, a yeah. guy dressed in a cloak and they're like at some sort. But of... But it's what's great about the '80s is you have this idea of like '80s metal and you yeah. you, you do get like this string of '80s related like crossover like <laughs> ho- like heavy metal horror movies yeah. like. Uh, this one, to a obviously to a certain extent, but uh, a movie called Trick or Treat, not Trick or Treat, the not the anthology that everybody knows and loves now, but there was a 80s horror movie called Trick or Treat, the uh, Black Roses. There was a lot of 80s metal horror, and I've always loved this movie as being kind of part of that because of the record. You know, this yeah. idea of like. Uh, That was another thing that yeah, and the people like if you play the record backwards, there was all this thing about the movie Suicide, uh, the the Ozzy song Suicide Solution, these kids. Yeah. ended up sh- like shooting themselves you had in the Gore;
0: She was going on talk shows talking because about because there was supposed
1: to be quote unquote subliminal messages yeah, the advocating against
0: violence against that and you had you know that became a huge like congressional hearings about
1: censoring this music because yeah. it's the devil's music. Yeah, and then you had guys like Dee Snider and John Denver and Frank Zappa all in on like these panels testifying. Yeah,
0: or they go on like on Phil Donahue or Geraldo's show to talk about you know, Freedom you'd, of speech. Yeah, you know, and then, you know, you'd see, like, you know, say Ice-T would show up and later on, or, uh, you know, they talk about his body count. Um, so you had all this weird stuff. So in the 80s, it was so odd that you had this, like I said, it fascinates me that you had these Vincent Price records that are, they're not, like, they're serious. You just yeah, take yeah. them, like, you know, and so I'm, I'm, I always think about when I listen to this stuff around this time Halloween, it's like, you know, the people back then were buying them, like and it's like the same people who then would get the Ouija board out. They'd have to sleep over, <laughs> yeah. you know. And it's odd. We were talking about several times about England and England having the um, uh, what's the name of the video nasties? You know, oh, yeah, they, yeah. they yeah. warned against stuff and they had a lot of stuff outlawed. Like a Ouija board is outlawed in England. Yeah. You know, they've they've had to do deal with so much fucked up shit over a thousand <laughs> years with the druids and the pagans <laughs> and stuff. They don't like, yeah. you know, we we know too much about it. We don't want to. So that's why, like, when you see The Conjuring Two when it takes place in England, you see that they have a homemade Ouija board and the the mother's like, why are you playing with this? You know, this is illegal. So like, it's funny that you have countries that outlaw that kind of thing. So over here, that was, you know, kids buying like a Mattel Ouija board. (laughs) When
1: I I was in England last year and you go on these tours and stuff and everybody was very nice. Uh, You know, I think, especially now there's this fear that people are jerks to Americans. I didn't find that, but In England, but what I did find is the people that were a little bit jerky to to me as an American uh, were the tour guides, and they would kind of poke fun at you because England does have obviously like a much longer history, at least anglicized, you know, like European style history than America does because America is a very small, uh, a very young country uh, in terms of the you know European uh, aspect of it, anyway. But they were all like kind of poke funny at like oh you don't know history like uh, England we got history it's like I do I like, like yeah but it's a pretty fucking dark history yeah, it's a, all about like beheadings and witch trials yeah seance and Jack the Ripper <laughs> I'm mean, like yeah it's a but it's a pretty the morbid and and, f- yeah it's like yeah it's a it's a long history but it's pretty morbid
0: and you had a lot of dark uh, the dark ages and stuff yes they had a lot going on to deal with back then so it's. Funny this 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 theme of the occult with Huxley and Crowley, gets off and running in the fifties and sixties, and then you know with Rosemary's Baby, and then in the seventies this becomes a mainstream idea that you have kids. They're they're making Ouija oh, boards yeah. for kids. But there was in the seventies there was a
1: lot. You had like Run 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 from the Devil. You had Devil's Rain. Yeah,
0: you had um <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you, you, yeah, you start like getting that niche of like subgenre, or, horror yeah, and then you have like Alice Cooper, and you have these people that are like just even you know Alice Cooper's not ever associated really with the devil but because he looked the way he looked yeah, yeah. and you had Vincent Price you know, do a rap on one of his songs it's oh my god it's so <laughs> dark and you, our kids can't be listening to, into like Ozzy in the 80s yeah. with Suicide Solution I'm sure a
1: lot of our uh, listeners probably do recall going into older kids rooms you talk about Martin's older brothers and stuff, and when I did the movie lovers episode with Richard Christie, I and I might have told this story have, on the story on one of these shows with the padlock, with the padlock, the lock on my cousin Tony's door and going into his room and having all the Ozzy posters. Yeah. It's the first
0: time you're 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 kind of people our age. That was what the older, like the older brothers of friends or your older brothers would show you like nudie mags or like that, what they were listening to. Skid Row or brother was
1: My brother was very into like Van Halen, but Tony was very into. The darker arts. (laughs) (laughs) The the dark arts of heavy metal, of the 80s metal. Teased hair. And so you would see. Mascara. Like Bark of the Moon. And yeah. uh, uh, all those Iron with like blood coming out of his mouth yeah and all
0: those Iron Maiden Eddie posters I mean that's such a great subgenre of art of Eddie like in the Civil War or Eddie like in uh, Blade Runner Future Noir or e- Eddie in the Pharaoh Sarcophagus or Eddie uh, fighting in like a World War II you know bomber so it's just so funny you see all that stuff and it's just and that's where unconsciously I started to listen to music because of Sure. when I started to care about like my parents my dad was loved Frank Sinatra and like doo so I listen to, like, you know, when I'm Back to the Future, I'm listening to, like, Earth Angel and yeah, the Penguins. Yeah. And then when I start hanging out with my friends, I start listening to Motley Crue, Skid Row, Anthrax, and uh, all that Van Halen, and then yeah. Guns N' Roses is on it. So it's funny where your tastes evolve from. And it's all out of this darker kind yeah. of... But it's just so funny to me that they, you know, th- there's one element of the culture, like uh, Tipper Gore, in those committees that are scared of what is it doing to our youth. Then there's the other end of it, uh, and I'm not saying they're trying to exploit anything, but they're like they're making Ouija boards for us, or they're they're making movies like this, or they're having uh, records geared towards children that are like how to sure. t- raise the dead or how to like I have Newton,
1: you know, <laughs> uh, the wing of a fly or you know. What yeah. I mean? And I just love the record aspect of this. It's such a great. It's device. funny that it actually ends up working. And like it, it's it such works. like a time capsule. Yeah. Of like mid to late '80s. It's so. Sp- and honestly, of a lot of the movies in the '80s, like uh, especially of, of a lower budget horror genre, it's, it's, I think this movie holds up pretty well in terms of aging well. I um, due to like production and the effects. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I think it, it doesn't. It doesn't feel as dated to me as a lot of other movies, and it could just be because my nostalgia and my love for it is more than maybe some other movies but i do feel like it it doesn't feel quite as dated even though clearly it's the mid 80s uh and and this idea of a record album and heavy metal being is such an 80s concept
0: did you said you
1: watched um
0: you watched the second movie to this too you went yeah and saw i, I went and i rewatched <laughs> the gate 2 um does that does that go into i don't i i'd have to see it to remember if I'd seen i it, seen it i hadn't
1: seen it I remember renting it in, like, the early 90s uh, because of my love for The Gate. Being like, oh, my God, like, there's a sequel to the, to this movie. Um, but what so I, I remember renting it, but I hadn't seen it since then.
0: Without really getting into that, does it kind of... It, to me, it seems like the uh, the plain idea or, like, the... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, the... Uh, the way, the the, the the nonsensical, the perfect way to go with the sequel down that road is to explore the metal band.
1: No, unfortunately not you know, what I mean? you know what's the word
0: I'm looking for? Like, it's the, you know, that's just the logical. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, hey, let's, because ex- it's such a, that opens such a door where they don't explain it at all that they have this album.
1: Yeah, it's you know, such like a and weird And then they open MacGuffin. it up, and then it works. It's totally like you know, throwaway. <laughs> you
0: know, it's almost like the, uh, you know, there's that switzerland or there's Sweden. this metal band
1: from in, from overseas yeah. my, my internet my dad brought it home from europe there's this metal band called sacrifice and they know all about this stuff and it's a but they all died in a plane crash it's such like a great kind of device yeah. unfortunately no the sequel uh in a nutshell because we, we're we not talking about the sequel tonight um is and they shot it in 88 though uh set Lewis, on like a shelf right for like Tripp trip looks so much older but it's not he's that age where like in a year he'll be like a foot taller <laughs> yeah because uh
0: steven dwarf is in this movie and then like in 88 or 89 he he guests on father Dowling mysteries uh and he's already like you know what is that two years difference and he's already looking like he's like yeah because yeah, they sh- this became out in 87 but they shot in 86 yeah uh
1: they shot gate two in 88 and uh Lewis Tripp, the Terry character, looks a lot older. He suddenly looks like a Hanson brother. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of like, it's been two years since Glenn's house has been empty, and it's just like, you know, kind of uh, got a big fence around it, and it's abandoned. And his dad is an alcoholic now, and he... Well, you
0: kind of got hints of that in the f- in this one. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't have a really good home life when you got home,
1: shit was all around. Yeah, you know that his, his mom died, died yeah. and that his dad traveled for work. Yeah. I think was at least what I the impression I got cuz he's like my dad brought it home from Europe. So I figured in the so it's explained in the segment that his dad's an airline pilot but has been let go. Uh. And so uh the idea is that he has to go, the the big thing is in the beginning he's like we did it the first time but the problem was we didn't do it right. uh open the gate. So he goes back to like open it properly and I think because he wants to wish he wants the demons to give him stuff. Like, he wants his dad to have a better life. You know. It's
0: oh, so he's he, actually going. He's actually
1: like not trying to stop it.
0: He's trying to. So he's actually going to like going back to the well to like try to like oh maybe I can let's th- do this the right. right. <laughs> oh my gosh! I thought he'd be trying to close it properly, as opposed no, to no, so no. it's all lot of selfish. No matter how idealistic they are, it's all out of selfish reasons. He's going. Yeah,
1: up, yeah. And
0: he's, he, he's opening the gate, a portal
1: to hell. <laughs> I think that's pretty much the, I mean, in a nutshell, that's it. The only other, like, the significant thing worth noting is that uh, there's an actress that people would know today. She's uh, from a show called Better Things, and she is a f- also a famous voice actress. And she did, like, The Sun's voice on, uh, uh what's the, uh, the cartoon made by uh, the guy that did Beavis and Butthead.
0: Oh, Judge, ju- uh, yeah, Mike uh, judge. judge, so it's the, uh, the one with the, they all talk like this, yeah, yeah. Yeah. hey, get the hell out of my house. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. the name of that show, people?
0: Yeah, that one there. with. Uh, but anyway,
1: so she did a voice on the, the son on that the show. Hill? So Hill? Something Hill? Hill? King of the Hill. King of the Hill. King of the Hill. Of the Hill. King King
0: Thank you, Hill. Uh, Jamila. <laughs> uh, script so before we are going to have
1: people <laughs> Live tweet- tweeting us. tweeting. <laughs> Be like it's Kayla. Okay, you said it. Yeah, you. Damn it, that's Mike. That's Mike Vanderbilt was just about to turn that. He's like, Huck!
0: Son of a bitch. Uh,
1: but she was also in Californication, and so she's a recognizable face if you saw. And she plays the female lead in this. Uh, well, before
0: you leave it, but yeah. Pat,
1: her name's Pamela uh, Adlin now, but back then she was Pamela Seagal. Uh,
0: no relation to Cat. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, what's your face, Segal?
1: Not Stephen or or,
0: <laughs> or, from or Katie. Katie Segal. Um. Uh, how are the effects and do they have minions and like that kind of, they bring all that back. There's
1: a minion. Uh, honestly, like it's in terms of movie wise, even though it's the same writer, same director, and I oh, think it even same, maybe even same super uh, special effects supervisor. It's not nearly as strong as this movie. The word on the street is that they made it and then it got shelved and they, and Alliance was never going to release it. And then the gate, the, the original gate got some traction in, in home video so they decided to release it fuck it. we have this tax write off <laughs> <laughs> because the gate uh, was starting to do well on home video so they ended up releasing how it. demoralizing is that as an
0: actor anybody connected to that project if you're the writer that's your baby you're the director that's your baby you make a whole movie you're, you you finished it you're done you hand it to a company and they're like we're not going to release this Yeah, we're going to take it as a tax write off and it's going to leave on a shelf so like an actor you put all that work in you know, making
1: an accent yeah director, well I mean you, you know, know we talked about it with Fantastic Four. When oh, we the did Roger the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. Yeah. I mean because like N- nobody
0: knew except Roger Corman was like, "Yeah, look great." Because <laughs> then you have like
1: these people that worked on it for like a year, and then they can't even use the footage on their reel to get oh jobs God, for the yeah. get the next job. You know, <laughs> like their sizzle reel or whatever. Uh, but uh, so unfortunately, Gate Two does not hold up quite as well as the original. Uh, but but at least they spe- got a release. But it's speaking of effects, I think we need to talk yes. about yeah. uh, the un. I think the unsung hero of the gate. Uh, not to take anything away from uh, Tibor and Michael, the run writer and director, is Randall William Cook. Randy Cook, who was the... My the, man. My, <laughs> man, Randy my Cook, man, Randy Cook. My
0: man, Randy Who
1: was uh, a special effects designer and the special effects supervisor on the gate. Yeah. I think really nailed it. Yeah. Hit it out of the park. Yeah. And par- yeah. <laughs> part of the genius of it was... Uh, yeah. And the reason why he got hired was... Because uh, Tibor uh, uh, Takakis was, uh, or Takis, <laughs> <was laughs> sorry Tibor, there's, you know, there's accents in this name, I mean. um, he was interviewing potential super uh, spe- special effects people, and he picked Randy uh, Cook, because and Randy- And that's your make
0: or break, you know, you can have a great movie, but you have shitty special effects-
1: and the really reason why weird. he picked Randy Cook was because Randy Cook was the first person, the only person he interviewed that talked read the script and talked about the amazing opportunities that this movie had for special effects. Like look at what like oh this is gonna be awesome. Imagine we could do this. Everybody else read it and thought about the budget and everything and talked about the limit. The The restrictions, yeah. The restrictions and the limitations that this movie is gonna be on them to do special effects. But Randy Cook was the only person to be like, Oh man, like this is gonna be great (laughs) And he was a guy who we're gonna bring up again, Richard Edland. Yeah. Who was uh we entered into the sleepover Hall of Fame, maybe uh, last
0: summer with Ghostbusters. Maybe
1: Ghostbusters. Maybe even earlier. Yeah, uh, we don't fucking who, know. He <laughs> was a big special effects uh, guy, and uh, we just maybe, were talking about him. We just talked about him for
0: something we did. Something. Yeah, maybe, uh, you guys might know. Maybe
1: Raiders. Might have been Raiders. He
0: was Raiders, Ghostbusters. He's part of that uh, g- uh, Gremlins.
1: And we talked about him in Predator because they his shop was the shop that was hired to do the original the Predators, Van Damme so. suit. But uh, Randy Cook was working it for Edlund's company, uh, but not happy because he was just a go- like a cog in a wheel there, yeah, and uh, never really got to branch out. So I think through it was either through uh, Rick Baker or another effects artist that he got inter- that Tibor got interview uh, introduced to him. Excuse me. And the reason why I say he's kind of the unsung hero of this is not just the, the, the makeup effects and the design of the demon lord at the end. He was the one that said, you know how we could do this. And who does this anymore? Come on over to my house. He brought Tibor Tachis and Michael Nankin over. He said, I want to show you something. And he showed them Darby O'Gill and the little people. I was going to say, you know me. Which is one of Dion's personal favorites. Yeah. And he said, the, re- the way we can do this reasonably all fucking leprechauns <laughs> reasonably priced is we do we use force perspective yeah and who the hell knows what force perspective is anymore which wasn't something that was being used all that much no anymore there's no then.
0: reason there was no reason really to I mean maybe uh, maybe cat's eye used it I haven't seen that movie in which, 30 years
1: cat's eye which I'm watching this movie now I realize that like little beings in movies made a huge impact scary. on me. They scared me. So scary, me. yeah. <laughs> really? Good. I brought up to, I Kat, said, that little guy in Cat's Eye to this day. I just said last <laughs> night in a
0: recording, I said to my wife, let's watch Cat's Eye this Halloween. She's like, I can't. Too scary. That little guy, too scary. And I'm like, you know, and yeah, little things coming out of walls, <laughs> holes running around. Like, right. And I don't know. I feel like um, Darby O'Gill is in a movie that doesn't that doesn't get its due every year
1: for St. <laughs> Patty's Day we talk about doing it. And one day, one day we will.
0: Yeah, I freaking... Uh, Jesus, I can't tell you how much... That's up there with me with Disney movies, with the black hole, because it is... I mean, I, I love the movie, but just... It's an example. What is that movie like? Nineteen fifty-nine, maybe. And it's you and I watched it when we yeah, lived I mean, together. Yeah, it's pre Double O
1: Seven, right? Yeah,
0: it's 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 before. Uh, I mean, that's sixties. Sean
1: Connery. <laughs>
0: yeah, Sean Connery. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's prior to Doctor No, and maybe Doctor No what's what? Nineteen sixty.
1: What's early sixty sixty
0: one? Maybe. Yeah, and. Um, that movie still holds up the special effects, and it's yeah. all it's it's a, it's a movie about a guy a guy in an, I, an Irish guy in a village who deals with leprechauns and you know the coach of death and all this kind of stuff and the banshees great all that uh, Irish mythology and folklore, but they do this Disney this forced perspective to to have the uh, principal regular size actor interact with the leprechauns. And it's amazing that this stuff. Yeah,
1: which is the idea is having basically something in the foreground of the camera being big and something and having somebody in the background. And, and then because they always weird, call right? the camera like a one eyed idiot, because the reason why we have two eyes is for depth perception. And the camera doesn't have two eyes unless it's you're shooting 3D. So the idea of if you use the correct, the proper lens with, that does a, you know, a, I guess a shallow depth of field so that. Things are it's
0: like almost like a telomere, right? You want everything to be in focus. Yeah. Because so, if you think about if your one eye is the camera lens, we can have Blake in the foreground, and then if I'm playing a leprechaun, you'd have me behind them like 30 feet away, so I'm smaller. And then the trick is to just if
1: having you can the match eye, the eye having lines. Having the eye lines work, yeah.
0: If the eye lines match right, and then you have
1: your set look seamless. And I think they did it. A, I think they do it a bit in things like. Uh Harry Potter—they still use it sometimes. It's not all it's just CGI anymore. Yeah, well, even
0: Lord of the Rings—they did it in the past. Lord of the Rings, how they had um, Gandalf talking to the hobbits—that's yeah. all forced perspective. So it l- the reason it looks great is because it's—it's it's not an effect where they're—they're they're not like um, uh, using an optical printer because a lot of times. The older effects, you'll see like a like a uh, an outline around the yeah. effect, you know, which we've talked about, and you yeah. see
1: you do see it here sometimes when they have to you, they're using the uh, the miniatures,
0: yeah, or the moths flying yeah. around or whatever you see it, but
1: in this, c- this you lose case, a generation because you're re-photographing. You're, you're combining two images and then re-photographing it, so like a xerox machine for those people uh you're losing a generation so there's a there's a uh quality difference and we talked about that recently too and something yeah uh, maybe an old maybe
0: <laughs> could have been predator maybe no or robocop or whatever we did huge big ones this year so i don't know maybe raiders uh because they were talking about how they would back stuff and to t- to get the effect right or maybe yeah. it was blade runner i don't know but um so it's, w- it's, it's done superbly, and I think it sets the bar, Darby Gill sets it, and yeah. that's why nowadays, uh, that era of Disney, 20,000 leagues under the sea, another that's probably my top three of Disney. All, and then what's his face doing, the, doing all the, uh, the matte paintings, yeah. and all these effects that were just they're still being used 40 or 50 years later. So when you get to the '80s, what a great way to, to have if you have these minions, have to be that height. Instead of having him, it probably would have been so much money to. I
1: remember as a kid just kind of assuming that they were like stop animation.
0: Well, yeah, because the, the other guy in it, uh, I forget that gentleman's name, was thinking like he's going to Ray Harryhausen the entire thing. I yeah, love yeah. Ray Harryhausen. I hope people know who Ray, Ray Harryhausen is. Look it up. Yes. Uh, remember, we only do 50% of the work for you. You have to <laughs> do that extra half. Um, and he was thinking, I'll Ray Harryhausen the entire thing, and then it kind of did got, some of it. Yeah, the ending, the ending yeah. bit with the thing, and probably certain aspects of when the when the when the the principal actors would get picked up or have to be, you know. But uh, that would have been so cost costly with stuff. So the idea was just to have these minions. They just made regular size suits, and they had like I guess you know kids in their twenties or you know people they didn't need to pay like, extras. Dress up in these suits, and they made these elaborate sets, which are almost like Raiders of the Lost Ark. These big catacombs and caves. Yeah, yeah. But then, r- r- really, when you see them on in in, uh, in the movie, they're only just like a hole in the ground because of yeah. this forced perspective. It's going to be also tiny. also the
1: things in the bedroom. I mean, they're doing. Oh, basi- that, yeah. They're basically doing like the Honey, in, I in the, the kids oh, yeah, or in the cupboard. Yeah, <laughs> all that
0: stuff. Which th- I'm sure there's. Elements of forced perspective used in those two movies, but yeah, the, like the scene with the construction worker falling, and then them running—that's right out of cat's eye. They're all in the room, and you have the big, yeah, yeah, you know, the big sets or. or, I mean, or the Incredible Shrinking Man is another great example of that. Richard but so
1: all these great shots, like when uh, the sister Al goes out to investigate. Oh, and they run up the stairs, and the, but they first they come out of like wherever, and they're around her feet, and then that's all one shot. Yeah. It wasn't like this. There's no CGI in this movie. So yeah. there, there was no like cartoon little minions or anything. They had to figure out a way and to preserve the quality of the image. They did most of this stuff all in the camera in one shot. So she's standing on, you know, like a like this like a a, a walkway with these you know, uh, brick tiles. Like a platform. Yeah. So and she's then,
0: higher she's high up in the air.
1: And then, you know, twenty feet down, maybe even more, they have these guys in minion suits standing on giant brick tiles. Yeah. And
0: it, and then the, the 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 secret for it to work is that you make the say that tile that's supposed to be like the back the backyard walkway, if they look right, yeah. It'll be seamless. And that's where you get a lot of with it with um uh with uh, Darby O'Gill is a lot of that. With you know, if if you can set the eye line, and then have that be seamless, it looks phenomenal. So yeah. she's she's say fifteen feet on a platform in the air. They're below her, but since the it's almost like labyrinth, you know, when yeah, you, yeah. when they're walking through the labyrinth, if, if the tiles look like they work, you won't even see a border there. Yeah, and then so that's so then you get it. So that if the camera's there and she's in the foreground and she looks regular height, they're twenty or thirty feet below her. They're gonna look smaller like G. I. Joe size, but they're people. And then the shot where
1: that you just mentioned, where when she up walks the st- up the steps and then it they run up the steps. Yeah. To do that on one shot. And they even talked about how people saw the dailies of that. There was like other filmmakers that somehow saw that footage and called uh Randy Cook and be like, How did you do that shot? It did Walt Disney and, Yeah, and then he was like, Oh, we just did Force Perspective and like, Oh, is like that is that all? Like yeah. Like I, two seconds ago when you didn't know how I did it it was amazing now that you know how I did it that's like the, the magician never <laughs> reveals a secret I mean it's such a crazy art
0: to, to with the force perspective and to it's be all able math because you have to understand yeah. like,
1: what lens you're using and how that, how that image looks in that lens the millimeter of the lens the distance between between the camera and the foreground and then the distance between the background and then how big, and the yeah. person in the foreground. It's how big all mathematics. You want
0: the, yeah, how big you want the person in the foreground to be and then what scale the minion is supposed to be. So that determines how far back they are. And then really to sell it, you need to have that seamless, the two sets with the person in the foreground, the person in the background. And then when you set the camera up, it blends so you can't see the difference between the foreground set and the background set. So it looks like, like in Darby O'Gill, there's a scene where they're getting drunk together. So you have a big guy, the, the Darby's sitting with some whiskey, and he's sitting next to the King O'Brien, and they're handing each other this glass. King O'Brien is 50 feet in the background, but they're just sitting on a bench, and it looks like they're just both on a bench. But yeah. it's seamless. It's just amazing the stuff well, they did. there's they,
1: even, they talk about uh, Casablanca. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's the, another Walking thing. out onto the airport. Yeah, they used a smaller plane and little people. Yeah, they didn't have a plane that big yeah so that was just like a sw- and then even in uh so they
0: had yeah for the last set of Casablanca when they when, when um, Claude Rains and Bogart walk off as silhouettes and they're like this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship uh, they're walking towards the plane and she's taken off the plane is a miniature so say it's like 20 feet long and they just put s- small people
1: yeah
0: uh, in the outfits and they just had them
1: walking so then it looks like oh my god they're
0: the same size right. you know it's
1: perfect and then perfect. Th- like the Star Trek uh, I think maybe Khan did it too where they're down in the engineering he was a room, small <laughs> no, but in Wrath of Khan, like when you're down in the engineering room and they're they're inspecting the Enterprise, oh, well, the, the people are just kids down the bottom, yeah, like <laughs> the Give it, you know, they're supposed to be like depth of like the I don't know the dilithium crystal, yeah, thing. all the way down. Yeah, yeah. uh, supposed to be this long corridor. So they just put like kids or or little people in like the outfits because the corridor's not nearly as long. as I mean, we just talked one.
0: about in Blade Runner last week. They did that for the opening shot force perspective where they had. The you know, when when the when the uh, scene opens and you see the world of Blade Runner with all that, you know, it's darkness and the city and all those flames coming up. That's all huge, huge buildings right in front of the camera. They feel they figure out what the eyeline is going to be of the edges of the frame and they just only build to that and then as they get back they just build stuff smaller mm-hmm. so realistically that so
1: they're using the skyline but using force perspective yeah, to make so the skyline look like it goes on forever it's yeah and it's, it's just drill, using it's, just like two feet. it's yeah <laughs> it's like
0: using models and stuff so then realistically that set can only be maybe 20 feet long but it looks like it's this huge elaborate you know skyline when it's you know it, so it's just it's amazing the gimmicks you know it's all that stuff that people discovered in the silent era camera tricks and what they can do with dissolves and that kind of you know just with that you know like you said the the the, the one eye uh what did you say the camera's a one-eye idiot or yeah, something yeah that's
1: what they that's what i've heard it called yeah
0: because you can't since you don't have the depth of field and you know that works with people i i feel like i heard a story if i might be wrong but um edelson was what's his face uh the, the uh harrison and uh richard his father richard um the, the, I just said his name the the matte painter I feel like he he either had one eye or he would put a patch on yeah, when yeah. he draw on the glass for Treasure Island or Darby O'Gill or Twenty Thousand Leagues so that it would you know it would work for him so he wouldn't his eye wouldn't be tricked with the yeah. with seeing depth of field.
1: The beauty of doing this show the show that we do here Saturday Night Movie sleepovers and I know for specifically that's Attenborough, sco- Richard not
0: Attenborough. that's never mind sorry I'll <laughs> go He's, back to sleep.
1: Uh, and it, it's funny because you brought up Labyrinth earlier and I think it was the first time we might have said it and one of the things I love about doing this show other than revisiting these movies with Dion and talking about them is we get to see revisit all this stuff and, and we said it with, with Blade Runner too which is um, this is all like the uh, f- the history of effects Ellen Shaw Richard Ellen, Ellen Shaw and yeah. Harris Ellen Shaw father and son team would yeah. map Matt paintings. Uh, pioneering Matt paintings Le- legendary yeah you know like those are the guys like you know we talk about you know F- Foley being named when well, we think that's we talked about Raiders of the Lost Star. Foley being named after a guy named like James Foley Yeah, Matt Foley Art so yeah. the yeah. sound effect that like they should name Matt paintings. <laughs> Matt paintings <laughs> Ellen Shaw <laughs> the, the, Alan, you know, Matt the after.
0: father Richard did all the Disney movies until I think his last movie was The Black Hole Harrison took over in The Black Hole and then Harrison does stuff now he might have even retire now yeah 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 uh, Ellen
1: Shaw and uh, we talk about James Cameron did that for Escape from New York yes the which Twin coincidentally stuff. Uh, give a shout out to Sashana oh, oh by saying that correctly our uh, one of our uh, listeners a listener a p- person that uh, talked to on Twitter she was telling me that she went to visit uh, JJ Abrams' company in LA Uh robot Bad Robot, whatever that company is, and she said that he actually owns one of James Cameron's New York City skyline map paintings from *Escape from New York*. It's like hanging up at the office, <laughs> just oh like gosh. the actual glass. Um, but one of the things I love about doing this show is glowing back and seeing like the, the history of special effects, like at like at, you know at, at the height of of the mastery of it. I mean, we were talking about Labyrinth being like this is like puppetry, every kind of puppet, yeah, Anything you, know? you could take a precgi yeah, there, pull the stop It's like it's, you know, it's like a cornucopia of um, of like special effects being done, a plethora of whatever yeah, you the pulling the stops out. Everything pulled the stop out but done like expertly. Yeah. You know, Blade Runner other end of the spectrum, but you know, Same in terms player. of like content-wise, but special effects to, you know, its fullest extent, and I'd say Gate is doing it too. Like yeah. I love, especially a low, for the for the budget they had for being yeah, able to. Yeah, I mean, they made it for like five million Canadian, which like translated to like three million dollars America, something like somewhere around there, uh, to to my recollection. But yeah. it was not a lot of money, and they to pull off the 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 genius of trying to do this in forced perspective, doing it so well, the amount of stop motion that's going on, uh, I mean, just the shot alone you're talking about when the workman falls flat on his face and then turns into minions. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. How much went into that? That
1: yeah, I mean, no. like that today that would be a cartoon. Yeah. But to do that on set, you have uh, Glenn and Al, brother and sister, Steven Dorff and. Uh, Krista Denton standing up against the wall in the bedroom. They're like four, they're they're like fourteen feet
0: in the air, close to the camera, strapped to the wall because they're in the air, fourteen feet high, to make it right, and then. Well, they're not even that that close, but I mean, obviously closer. Yeah, in, in and then they're, but they're and they're high up, and then but they're th- on a platform. Yeah. like twenty feet in the air. Or twenty feet down is the is the the be, quote unquote bedroom floor with the little guys, and that's you know that's how big they are. And then you have the workmen. the The actor playing didn't want to fall flat in his face, so they made a a body dub like a dummy, that stiff dummy. Yeah. And then he falls, and he, you know that's fourteen feet or whatever. But then they realized where he would fall, so they took it, they outlined it. Where his body would lay, and then they put all the the, the actors and minions there, yeah, in th- there, and then when you what did they don't even do is dissolve,
1: right? It's just a hard cut, I guess. Uh, they must have cut it somehow, but yeah, it probably was just a hard cut. Uh, and I think they hinged his feet so that he wouldn't necessarily like fall onto them. Yeah, he just. So he would, like, fall and then just, like, fall into the hole and kind of out of camera. The of bo- the they, dummy, yeah. Yeah, and then they probably just hard cut it when he's lined up perfectly when the where the minions are standing. And then it's just like, it looks like it hits the floor and then kind of explodes into these little And then they all hall. jump out
0: of, of, of where it is. Uh, and I think they it's said... It's
1: breathtaking. <laughs> yeah, and they said the
0: only thing they would try to do now, if they Monday quarterbacked it, is maybe rotoscope to, to just have a color correction for for five or six frames of yeah. you know like the, the of his head or whatever for, for yeah. just the second. Where like so the like,
1: minions would be colored like his clothes like he was. Yeah for So a, it was like a, a transformation more yeah. than just like an instant. A snap.
0: But I mean it's still like you're saying it's it's amazing and you don't realize I mean, you think of it, oh, it's just a low-budget horror movie, but all this stuff that goes into it to just have it look seamless. And, I mean, even the Minions themselves are really freaky looking. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, And it's such a unique design where they look like... I mean, that also got me thinking of, in the 80s, you had, like, Ghoulies... Yeah. You had critters. You had, and I feel like there's a
1: third, like toadies. Munchies came out the same year as this movie, and I see he said, yeah, which was like Corman version. And of it's that.
0: all like you know, you have all the people coming out of toilets or out to of like hell, <laughs> you know, portal. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah, yeah. you had that subgenre, or eight critters is the aliens coming down, but you have that subgenre of of like these little guys, and and you have these minions here who are
1: completely unique looking. Uh, because they're not puppets, you know. Yeah, they're the like things. a guy in a suit. So and they, they don't. So they look like anatomically. Proper. And they're and they're
0: weird looking. I mean, they said they didn't get dancers. They got just. They had to like kind of coach the non actors how to do it because they how didn't to have. to yeah, have it look a little more exaggerated to it, but it's all freaky. Like their their uh, pantomiming is very freaky when they're all in a group and, and and then and then like I said the their looks and there's a couple of them that like they get into a fairly good close up that have some detail and they just look freaky looking like yeah, the, f- the, 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 you know the eye without a pupil yeah, you know what yeah. i mean that kind of but it's f-
1: funny because Randy Cook talks about how he had to go into a meeting with the producer John Kemeny uh, who I, they when they talk about him they they do an impression of him with an accent but i don't know where he's from but apparently he was a pretty uh hard Ass, like, producer, yeah. you know, obviously, bottom dollar. I mean, he's not a creative guy, he was the money guy, you yeah. know. You need to he, be, uh, he's got to be the, he's the guy that raises <laughs> the money, he's got to make sure that this it's on track, that they're not going over budget. And uh, he's got to go in and kind of show him. Uh, R- Randy's got to go in and show John Kemney the designs for the minions. And on the way in, I don't know if he noticed it or somebody else noticed it, but he noticed that the minions. Subconsciously he designed their look, their faces to be like a caricature of John Kennedy. <laughs> oh really? So he kind of <laughs> like has he a didn't even realize. A likeness. Like, and then somebody pointed it out to him and he's going into this meeting, and he's like, Oh my god, like what if he realized he's gonna think we're making is making fun of him or another? So John Kennedy's looking at these pictures and uh Randy Cook's kinda like shitting his pants a little bit, being like, Oh my god, like this could be it. Like I didn't even know I I didn't even realize I did it. Um But luckily john kennedy's like i love them they look great so then on set he's hoping that nobody's going to he's going to go through this production and nobody's going to realize that this happened cuz now he's really paranoid that this is going to get around and he's going to maybe lose his job over this and some guy comes over and uh and uh, he's says, let me ask you something. Take a look at this design. He's like, oh yeah, it's John Kennedy. <laughs> so that was something that he didn't even realize he did. But uh, so part of the look is kind of an exaggerated, apparently uh, unintentional characterization of the producer John Kennedy.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, Cook had done, you know, he'd done. Ghostbusters, The Puppet Master, The Thing. Q,
1: he worked on Q, The Winged server, 2010, Fright Night, Poltergeist 2, The Puppet Master films, like you said. And up until recently, he worked on the Lord of the Rings, the original Lord of the Rings
0: trilogy. And then then them doing that forced perspective a little bit again on the original trilogy. Uh, I mean,
1: for me, when I was... To
0: think about this movie, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw it from beginning to end, and I might not ever have... But I always remember that that always freaked me out. This, the you know, the, I was always scared of zombies and dead and in the, in the the construction worker in the wall. Yeah, and that and I remember it being a construction worker. And for some reason, I always envisioned him having a hard hat, which is not you know. You always think of things that sure, you yeah. invent your own stuff, or even having like a you know like a, one of those glow vests, you know. And uh, you know that when he comes out, that's freaky, and he does look. He, he's very scary looking. I, I always like to give credit to, if you get a good zombie that looks scary, yeah. it doesn't look like a zombie from like Thriller or from like Return of the Living Dead. Well, that's like you the know. other
1: kind of guy, uh, makeup guy who did work for Rick Baker uh, originally and then came over to this film. His name is Craig Reardon.
0: Yeah. He and might have been the guy who was talking about the Ray, being a big Ray, Ray Harryhausen fan. Yeah. You know,
1: and he works. This was also a time where people that are friends, with, uh, fans of Savini, Uh, kind of know this. This was a time where, like, there was this special effects, makeup, practical, you know, like, a lot of times special effects guys wore a lot of hats, and there was this big struggle. I was like, are they special effects, or are they makeup effects? And a lot of them wanted to do everything. So This was
0: the glory, too, of that era. This was like the heyday of being able to, you know, from the 70s into the 80s when you have the technology making it look almost seamless if you do it right.
1: This and these really guys wonderful. were kind of, you know, I talked about talked about Freddie and Jason being kind of like the rock stars. They were like the rock stars of like cinematic ca- cinematic characters. But really, at that time, like the rock stars of like film crew guys were these special effects like guys. Tom Savini and I mean, and they were uh, yeah, a lot Rick of them Baker. were kind of nerds nerds, but they were like they were like these they were the, young guys who had like amazing imagination. And they're on the covers of
0: like you know. Um, Cinema Fantastique or uh, Fangoria, you know, like they're all, you know, they they would be profiled. So people who were in the know, you know, like Tom Savini. Well, you
1: know, I think a lot of people from our generation, sure, you look at, uh, you know, you look at, you know, David Lee Roth, Eddie Van Halen, you want to be a rock star. Yeah. But I think people like us, and Dion, I know this for a fact, because this is conversations that we had very early on, 20 years ago in our relationship you know, things that really wa- made us want to make movies originally when we were kids is because we wanted to be special effects artists. Yeah, we yeah. wanted to be those guys. We wanted to be like the Phil Tippetts and the Tom Savini's yeah. and the Rick Baker. And I did special effects on what? Your senior film, on maybe? My senior f- yeah, I did special makeup <laughs> effects on my senior film.
0: Uh, and they weren't too shabby when we did them, right? Uh, yeah, and that was growing up like in that special. Remember the, uh, the, the special effects awards or whatever? Remember in the... They had that, that which we talked about maybe a couple years oh, ago. Oh, the horror hall of
1: Where they had, like, before the commercials.
0: Yeah, when they'd bump out, they'd show you how to, like, do a bullet hole. Or, you know, with a, with a button. And, you know, or, like, how to do this or that. And just real uh, uh, cheap effects you'd see, like, if you bought Tom Savini or Dick Smith or, uh, uh, what's his face, uh, Rick Baker's books. You know, yeah, you, you yeah. know, use uh, some spirit gum or wax to put, a, you know, put a bullet hole on the head, and you pull and the bullet out. This bu- time now. of
1: year, Halloween was like the time because this is for a lot of us. Uh, you know, this was the only time of year you could get cool stuff like that, like fake blood at the store. Yeah, you go to your local like uh, <laughs>
0: little rubber ears. and stuff Yeah, whatever like they're that. selling that one aisle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have your effects aisle you'd be able, you know cuz you didn't have like party Cities or whatever yeah, the 24 hour k
1: Kmart or cbs yeah. or whatever and this is the only time World War, you, might be, you know you yeah. might be able to find or like a temporary creep, like costume shop would yeah that that
0: pop up to a seasonal place you know and and yeah, so you would stock up on all your stuff for the year um yeah so that that was very scary to me the uh, i remember the, the zombie and that um and that whole sequence and then you know him then falling and turning yeah. into the minions well the reason why stuff,
1: i brought up uh Craig Reardon is because he he knew essentially it was a zombie but he really sh- he wanted it not to be like the stereotypical like sunken eye yeah he was he trying to, with the predominant skull yeah. he was trying to find a new look for a zombie he didn't want it to just be like this zombie that everybody had always seen And there was this special there was this book going around uh, that Rick Baker had a copy of, but several people had, and it was, unfortunately, I should have written down the title name. It was something called, like, the Tomb of the Bog People or something like that, and it was, like, somewhere in some country where they would, you know, treat the bodies a certain way and they would bury them in, like, uh, sod or something and preserve the bodies, and this, you know, these people went and excavated the, uh, the, uh, the burial site for you know archaeological purposes or whatever, and so they were all like all kind of perfectly preserved, except for because of like where they were laying and the and what was on top buried on top of them, like they had flat like their face was flat on one side. Yeah, and so you see that with this zombie, like it was almost like he's uh, he's in the wall, but like jammed up against the wall, and like he's kind of decayed in a way that like his, part of his face is flat from being up against the wall. So this was the little things that he really. He didn't want it to be like Thriller, yeah. you know, or you know zombies that we'd all seen before. Yeah. And I think he, he succeeds, like you said. I mean, it's...
0: It reminds me of a couple of years later that, um, what's the Del Toro movie with the, uh, you know, that little thing and the uncle comes back. Oh, Kronos. Yeah, that, it has that kind of a look to it. Where, yeah. You know, I like the idea of, they said, you know, they wanted him to try to, when the zombie took this first breath, like have stuff come out and they're trying, to, they're trying to figure out all these ways and they're just like, oh, I'll just have them inhale a like cigarette. dust. Yeah, so and then it is first thing and you see all the and that's such a great idea, you know, you know, it's, you know and it, it's stuff you end up going to see, you know, on, you know, there's a lot of scary episodes, like I said, Tales from the Dark Side like and stuff where you have these zombies and, you know, you have that kind of effect and it, it, it just works so well, just the most simplest thing sometimes. So I thought that was great. I mean, for me too, the, uh, the hand and the the eye and the hand is so freaky to me. It's
1: just ah, yeah. oh, it's it's so it's, it's still so disturbing. Looks so great, even yeah. when you look at it today. Yeah, that holds up well, and, and all. that's and that eye is Randy Cook's eye, the special effects supervisor. That's his eye, so and in that hand. It's so crazy, and it's um, and I love the
0: jackets the kids have. Remember, like at the beginning of the movie, you have like uh, you know, the jacket that dwarfs wearing? and I think that's freaking awesome. <laughs> I, I'd wear that today if I could. That you know, it's yeah, yeah. very nostalgic for that, and um, uh. I, I was trying to figure out the whole concept with the rockets. What was his idea at the end where he's, he's he wants to get the rock Until he realizes he can fire the rocket into the big yeah. demon. What does he think he's going to do with that rocket? He's going to fire it. It's going to go into the
1: hole. And so there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, I think, you know, uh, kind of subtextually and, and things going on. We talked a bit about the fear of abandonment and i think that goes along through the whole thing and i think one of the reasons why i connect a lot with this movie is one i remember my dad getting me and my brother a rocket for one year for christmas when i was little and actually like the neighborhood that they live in looks pretty upscale but there were a lot of neighborhoods when i grew up and when after i moved to the albany area uh north of albany closer to saratoga actually uh there were a lot like the developments, yeah. They the developments, like right? Out of poltergeist, look looked just like that. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So There were some houses on my block that uh, looked like that. My house was a little more traditional than that. Yeah. But uh, and they're
0: all, yeah. You get, you, you're like they're they're made in the '60s and '70s. So It's like the next boom after the post-war boom <laughs> of suburbia. You have, yeah. So they have entire like developments that are they're, like they're all raised ranches. They're all the same house, yeah, like yeah. poltergeist. You know that.
1: But uh, so that like that block that development looks just like where i grew up yeah outside of philadelphia after i moved out of philadelphia uh having the rockets like i said i remember my dad taking us over to the park near his house uh and firing off a rocket. Oh, you guys used to do that. You get a yeah. rocket. Yeah, we only did it. He got it for us for Christmas one year, and we did it maybe two or three times. However many cartridges came with it, that's how many times we did it. Were like, you as into like it? We as never went to like the the go re up the, the, the hobby store, you know, like the hobby store and get new. Were you, you was know, as into it as as what's <laughs> his face was? Where he's like, yes, you know, No, or, it was a, I wasn't. I don't remember being as into it, but I remember. Being pretty excited the first that's time, another being a sub- little kid.
0: That's a subgenre where you don't hear too much about now. You sort of are with the people who have the, um, what do you call those things? The GoPros. You could that now. You oh, like
1: yeah, the uh, drones.
0: Yeah, drones. But back, you know, p- there was the people would make models, but then there was the other subculture of people who would make the model planes that could fly or yeah. helicopters. And I mean, a couple years ago, maybe close to ten years ago in Queens, I remember a kid who maybe was in his late teens or twenties. He died. You remember that story where he was playing with a model plane and
1: I do kind of remember the plane that story, was coming yeah. back
0: in and it like decapitated him and you know, it was just a regular model plane. I mean it was a big one, probably yeah, like yeah. ten feet by, you know, maybe fifteen, but so it's like that's a sub job. So I was, and that used to fascinate me as a kid, but I always always think like how the hell you got to be really good practice in that because if you get that off the ground once, like, if you crash it, you're fucked. Yeah, like, how that's you, like a $300 yeah,
1: thing. Yeah, so back it's like, how do, you learn, yeah, how do you learn money. how to, like, that's an expensive
0: hobby to be able to, to land it properly and all that. So then, the, so I never got into it, but the rocket thing was something else. It's yeah. like, you know, it's funny.
1: You know, so I never understood what he was. So, uh, so that aspect, and also before I get to that, the other aspect of this I think is uh, kind of good when you look at it is like there's like these levels of demons when they open the gate and the first level is like are feeding off the fears of the kids or the imaginations of the kids so you have terry seeing his mom you have the urban legend of the worker being in the stuck in the walls and then the next level are the minions and then the final level is the demon lord which is the giant thing that comes out in the middle of the floor uh which is stop motion and absolutely awesome so at some point during during the movie, uh, as they're reading through the liner notes of Sacrifix's album, The Dark Book, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which I wish that album existed so bad. <laughs> like I would love to have that in my collection. They but should they it, should reissue that. Didn't uh, it
0: have something to do with there was actually like Canadian
1: bands that had the same? There was a Canadian band called Sacrifice. Yeah, that had us that used the same font, and that was a, a fairly. Uh, uh, popular thrash metal Canadian band at the time um, and a lot of the drawings on the inside were done by Randy Cook, the special effects supervisor that we talking about and uh some of the pictures of the bands in there I think might have been Sacrifice or something. Might, or like the photographer who took those pictures or his band or something. So there's actually was like... There's <laughs> the, the, it itself has its origins. It'll be a pretty cool box like, set to release in like, that. In like Canadian
0: you know, metal scene. Release the movie as a like a vinyl record. I wish record. there was
1: more songs in the album because then you could release a, like a, a proper soundtrack vinyl. of yeah. it. Uh, so at some point... Within the research of reading the book, uh, the Dark Book album liner notes uh, by the band Sacrifix, um, they come across uh, some passage which they don't even highlight, so it's hard to follow it by the yeah. end of the movie. Which is that, like, the what can kill the, the evil, what can kill the demon lord, is love, light, and purity. So the aspect of firing the thunderbolt. Which is the large rocket that he finds in, a, I guess, his sister's closet? Is this awesome? I thought it was her, his father took it away from him. And, but oh, then maybe because he put the he put the he, he, he the lit the <laughs> roof. But <laughs> then and
0: then they they found it like in the not the base, but like in a storage room. And then yeah,
1: next to the pff, shock.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next to they just they just happened to find a loaded shock. <laughs> that's what happened in the eighties. Yeah, you know, know,
1: that yeah. the other fun and aspect. It's of funny it. that
0: the other kid is like he's like don't play with it, and the kid's like, well, could I look at it and maybe. <laughs>
1: pull the trigger? Yeah, uh, that's the other aspect of this movie. And, and and something we talked about with Monster Squad, which is like, they use the word fag. I, mean, well, that, that that was, I liked
0: it that in this movie that the, the, the one sister of the sister's friend, the sister starts off as a real bitch, and, but then she kind of redeems herself where she's like, oh, you know, she kind of like, you know, she buys, oh, she spends all her money instead of going out on the new rocket for him to play with. Yeah, yeah. But the, 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 the sister's friends in particular, the girl with the hair that looked like, you know, from something about Mary, she's so... Uh, and uh, you know, unempathetic to the kid, and even like the kid's like my dog died. She rolls her eyes like who the fuck cares your dog died. And then she says like when they're in the the, the room that she's like uh, what are they doing? And she's like they're probably fagging out. And I was like that's so funny. That's like this is you know, back then when you yeah, could say yeah. stuff like that and it was all right. Where yeah, you know, you going fag on me or you're fagging out. And it's a, weird, out, and it's a like, time when you know. And even but with the dog dying, it was so, like, oh, the, like the only person who really cared about the dog dying was, um, you know, the kid dwarf, but then his sister kind of, but then I didn't understand that she, he asked, what did you do with the, with the body, and, and she's like, don't worry about it, so she must have just pawned it off on, not even the boyfriend, it's just the dude she liked, and then he's driving around with it in the car, and he's like, I don't know what the hell to do with this thing. Yeah, because they,
1: the, the shelter was closed
0: oh, okay, and then he's like, yeah, well... So then he
1: took it back, and then and perfect. He's kicking,
0: on, he's kicking on the door, like, you got got this dead dog, and then he's like...
1: <laughs> but then that's where they're reading the thing, it's like, they need a sacrifice. Yeah. Sac- we never he's sacrificed th- anything, and so he we're throws okay. it and he throws it into the hole, and and that's like, the sacrifice. Damn yeah. you, guy! Uh, so <laughs> like he that, but who
0: knew if that hole was two feet deep? He's throwing it in no, no one's gonna but, the one's going to have the dog.
1: the idea of the rocket is we find out... We we get a sense through the movie, and that's one of the uh, things I, I really enjoy about the movie, is the depth of the relationship between the sister and the brother and this idea of abandonment and we see like pictures of them with the rocket when they're you know like this was something this was a joy that they shared together and now she's getting older wants to hang out with her friends he feels left behind it's kind of like the whole you know recurring thing of this uh theme of this movie um and so the idea of the rocket is not just that he's going to sh- fire like this projectile at the monster, but it's that the rocket, the thunderbolt rocket, which it was like the special rocket that they loved until I guess he, you know, lit the roof on fire. They got taken away from him, and he he you see that he was going to give her a rocket. Yeah. For for like her birthday. Uh. So this was a special thing that he and his sister shared. So, the idea of the rocket is that it represents something pure between the love between him and his oh, sister. Oh, and then that would it's be. It's not just that it's a rocket. It's that it's what it represents is, is light, as is love and light and purity, is the love that he, the relationship that he has with his sister. Or he thought he had
0: with her, and then that now that. Yeah, and that'll what, be the.
1: Is what the rocket represents. And because it ends up being. And that's why it can kill the demon, not just because it's just like a, bu- a giant bullet. <laughs> well, yeah, at
0: first I didn't know what he thought. He was just going to shoot it into the. Into, this, into the cloud that was going up or yeah. into the hole but then when the demon came out I was like oh this is perfect you just launch it right into the demon's chest yeah, which yeah. he does I mean even that at the end that stop motion uh, that great demon that comes out of the hole that's great looking and you know yeah. all that and even the effects of like the um, like in Ghostbusters you know when they open up the, the containment unit and you have all <laughs> everything going up and <laughs> yeah, like you yeah. see that and here oh, with yeah, that like with the, it, that's great the, they go all the evil or whatever going up into yeah, the like clouds the, the and tornado
1: Flying, you know, going up into the sky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, glad it, that was like a great time for effects. That that ef- that effect from Ghostbusters. Real scary and, looking. Uh, and we, even when we talked about Ghostbusters, like the poltergeists and effect of like the Raiders of Lost Ark, the way ghosts look, yeah. like the oh, entities look. I, looked, I yeah. mean, we don't see any of that in there, but just that idea of that funnel. Of evil going yeah. up into the sky kind of reminds me of that, and
0: I think of that Ghostbusters song. <laughs> you know, I forget the name. That's that. That's over that. Tr- we talk about it in Ghostbusters, yeah, whatever that yeah. song is, that real scary song. But
1: uh, this movie just uh, a special place in my heart. I think it's a great culmination of uh, classic special effects that I think really hold up and ha- and help make this movie hold up to yeah. this day. I mean, if, know, I
0: think if the special effects didn't hold up, it'd be harder. There
1: are CGI movies from a few years ago that don't hold up, yeah, as well special effects by as, as well as this movie holds up today, in my opinion
0: anyway. Yeah, especially stuff in the '90s. Sadly, a lot of when CGI first came into became a practical kind of an idea that they uh, kind of went balls out doing um, completely CGIing yeah, like monsters, like or whatever. The
1: Spawn movie and the relic. <laughs> I haven't seen Spawn in years, but the relic for sure. I just, I just sure. remember Spawn was at the time was lauded as like the movie with the most CGI special effects yeah. ever at that, I know by that point yeah I remember going to the theater and being like in awe of it even
0: like at the beginning of um, we was talking about or in Horizon that stuff where you see it, like the stuff yeah in, like the, the pill bottle yeah, like it looks all it looks kind of an animation sadly and, and it's weird to think that stuff that that isn't from as long ago, that doesn't hold up as well as stuff that's older, but because it's like we said with Blade Runner, with the practical, when you have like miniatures and it's real, it, yeah, it looks, it looks, it, you it know, it is real the forced perspective, just, it works, you just know, small. I mean, we watched when we sat down and watched Darby O'Gill and Little People to see that's from 1959, all the special effects in that movie hold up. That's insane, you know, yeah. uh, and it's because they put the quality into it doing stuff like that. So, this is an example here of it. Um, I mean, it's amazing, uh, and that really, I think, helps keep the movie to be so s- everlasting because you know the, the it anchors it in s- into a yeah. semi-reality, you know.
1: And I think it's just uh, at least for our generation, I think it is a very good representation of our childhood, just like it was for Michael Mannkin when <laughs> he wrote it. I mean, yeah. obviously, he's older than us, but he was he. Re- it was a movie, you know. We said it. Uh, I've said it about. I think we talked about it a little bit when we did our Romero tribute. Like the thing about Creepshow is that. Creepshow is a movie that our generation has nostalgia for, but it was a movie that was made because of the nostalgia of the filmmakers. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways this movie does that too. Like we, like our generation, I goes. have nostalgia for it from seeing it in my childhood, but this, the movie came out of nostalgia by Michael Namkin and Tibor, and, uh, Tibor Takas for, for, from their childhood. And I think it's, it rings true. I think if anything of, even more than the special effects the reason why this movie dates so well for me is because there is like an honesty to it the 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 relationship between the kids uh, the you know the motivations of the kids the way the kids act and everything there's just it's, it's just it's genuine yeah uh, it doesn't feel forced and it feels like it's coming from someplace real and it and also I has like
0: a happy ending is kind of nice. I mean, I and don't I think anything... Like, I mean, the dog comes back, which is great. Yeah. But even at the end, when the dog goes back there and starts digging, I didn't get the impression that it's going to be ominous. I got the impression, oh, look, there's a tree there. Like, there's yeah, new... Yeah, yeah, the new life. Yeah. Life has come from As the... As opposed to, like, he's dens. going back down, and you could have had maybe a noise yeah. well, of a he pulls the, 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 shoe shoe, out, yeah, the shoe which out. is the
1: shoe that, that uh, Terry lost when he fell into the hole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, I I I would imagine that there are some jaded horror fans that look at that ending as being kind of a cop out but would you put into perspective that this was a horror movie meant for children it's the only way this movie really could have ended
0: yeah, but you don't you, you, you can't look at it that way too, that have it be a cop-out because it's I don't think there's anything wrong with having a happy
1: ending. You don't have to always have to be a, a twist. No, no. You know, no, where the, the dead guys in I the think back think that's seat what you know, like, people would expect. <laughs> yeah. Dun, 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 dun. I think this would be I think people would look at this and be like, I woke up and it was just all a dream. Oh, yeah. You know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, and it just all gets wrapped up really quick and everybody's alive and they're happy, even though the house is still trashed. Mm-hmm. We're gonna be in trouble <laughs> 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 That's what I was thinking think that, of. the
0: that that next morning when yeah, when they're sitting on the stoop and like the,
1: the house is trash,
0: there's like it's
1: steaming and I was like, Jesus, how do you explain this? I mean, how do you conceive? Imagine there's some horror fans that might look at this ending today and be like, "Oh, uh, it's a little bit of a cop out." But I think it's the pr- it's like how there's no other way that this movie could have ended yeah. for considering that they were aiming it towards kids about kids.
0: That's even more fucked up to think that then the um, it ends on such a happy note, and then the sequel is that fucking kid just wants nobody. <laughs> to <laughs> to like
1: to just to fix his life, yeah, right just over. to fix
0: his life is like you know, my, I don't want my dad to be an alcoholic, and I want you know, and um. I don't know if he tries to get his mom back in it. That's another thing that remember the mom comes back in this. That's scary, yeah, and yeah. you know, I um, I like the behind the scenes bit since they shot it in Canada. It's illegal to like chop trees down, so they had to find a tree that was going to be dying anyway. Yeah, to, to find uh, out. I love that. I wish they would adopt that here. So they had to like bring the set of the. They had to make a set that was the kitchen in the kitchen door so they can bring it to where that tree was so that he can open the door and have the shot of him walking out to where and that is. And I love is. that
1: the the development's so empty. It kind of adds, like, uh, that's what I love about like Halloween 2 when we talked about Halloween the uh, Halloween 2 for Halloween casts of, of, of yesteryear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's something about, like, everything being kind of even though it's it seems you know their house is on the block, but you don't ever see anybody. Yeah, it adds like a weird, eerie, surreal. Well, for Halloween, uh, and the way they did that was this: no, very few people lived in this development. They were still making it, it
0: was it. a new development at the time. Where so did they?
1: Was it Canada? I guess they shot that. Yeah, in? yeah, that, shot that, in I, Canada. yeah
0: duh. Um Yeah, because so that's what they say that they had to have the fences up with the bush so you can't see past because you could then you'd see the construction workers and the the building other houses and stuff, yeah, which yeah. It, where it ends up working fine. I mean, for, for me, Halloween too that. There's something always it doesn't it hasn't been clichéd yet for me but there's something always scary about like a empty hospital at night yeah yeah. you know where it's funny no one i mean i've been in a hospital at night and there's people around but it's always in these movies that are just like there's one nurse working like (laughs) six floors making her rounds and you know and then she's you know well the thing
1: about that movie is that there aren't even any patients it just adds like this weird nightmarish quality to that movie that i love so that's a very much a nightmare thing it's like to be someplace where you're supposed to be safe people are taking care of you it's like that's the only purpose for a hospital and then to be there and have like that There's nobody there to help you, there's no other people there, and then there's this killer <laughs> like stalking you. It's what makes that movie so powerful for me. So, the fact that the neighborhood is kind of empty just adds this like weird unsettlingness yeah. to this movie. For it, me. As I
0: think about it, it was I, I, I brought up Poltergeist, but it has that feeling of or like an ET where you have that neighborhood where everything looks the same, and yeah, but yeah. those neighborhoods are settled. Uh, people are already living there, I guess poltergeist are still moving people into the neighborhood i don 't know if, if they 're the first people to move into the house
1: maybe because it's because he works for the, the, the development, development and
0: they just finished the development you know but so this is the same kind of thing where it 's that uh, it's really it 's very well rooted in the the era of the 70s 80s where they 're making these new developments. Yeah, people yeah. are moving in and then you know who knows what evil Because that um uh, geode thing that they find. <laughs> yeah, in the, imagine a geode, yeah, which is they, also a very,
1: like, childlike to see why this yeah, ore or with is, crystals yeah. and,
0: and... who the hell knows what the hell it has to do with anything that like gets in a tree. Was it was it put there by, like, you know, the Indians or Native Americans, or was it there for some sort of mystical purpose or a cosmic? It was put there because it fell into the ground and grew into the tree. So, you know, it, it, it's that MacGuffin of something is there, and then, you know, modern progress bulldozes it away and opens, you know, it's like... Yeah. Uh, Ernest Scared Stupid or, you know, these movies where you just have something hidden and then because of our, you know, modern progress, we open a gate to hell or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or whatever. Or or we move a cemetery, but don't we, we, don't, we don't move the graves, yeah, only the headstones. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's funny. Uh, yeah, it was a trip down memory lane for me with this movie because I had, I couldn't tell you the last time I'd seen this, and and I only had snapshots of remembering it of... And I get this confused with, what's the movie... Is it the house? House with uh, what's his face from Cheers, uh, George went Yeah, I get this movie, these movies confused house with
1: house, house and House Two. Yeah,
0: I get these movies confused with that. So you know, because I always think about there's a hole in the house, there's a something, there, there's a gate. You know, so I get those those movies mixed up. So it was fun seeing this and realizing it wasn't jo- George Wendt wasn't going to be in this movie, <laughs>
1: <laughs> or uh, <laughs> or the other uh, John guy, Tom yeah. something <laughs> like in the other one. Yeah,
0: you know. So it was it was. It was a trip down memory lane, seeing this, and uh, you know, and having it be one of those, like we just started off the cast with one of those stories of like the It or the Goonies, yeah, a yeah. bunch of kids I on just, an adventure. You know, yeah. I just
1: I've always had a fondness for this movie, and because yeah, you've been wanting
0: to do it for a while, and people, yeah. and also listeners have been suggesting. Yeah, it we've had a bit. few,
1: we've had a few re- uh, more than requests one requests, yeah. for this one too, yeah. So, uh I'm glad we finally got around to it. Hopefully we did it justice. We had a couple of false starts. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and we have this <laughs> attic fan that's still on. Yeah, we have the fan on. But you know. uh
1: I just love it. And and I think it because it's the the imagery that you're remembering for a kid is one of the reasons why I love it so much because it's there is such strong imaginative visuals for this. Um but uh I think it's time for bed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're not up too late tonight, but we have a lot to do because we have to, we're gonna be back here next week. <laughs> you know, it's such it's so it's such a burden too on our parents. We have to just keep making room and grabbing the TV. And oh, geez, they hate when we have to uh, wash
1: out the pizza bucket.
0: Yeah, and gotta go, go throw all these mega joke colas and beers and all this stuff we're drinking here, all these concoctions. And then, like we said, we'll be back next week. For another episode of...
1: Same sleepover time.
0: Time is (laughs) sleepover channel. Um, And we're... Yeah, this is one of four. So, uh, you know, it's going to be an exciting October. We hope you like it. Stay tuned for next time. Later.